The concept of progress acts as a protective mechanism to shield us from the terrors of the future. From Collected Sayings of Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Mike, we're cruising right along so fast we're not even in the desert anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, so wait, wait. So where are we exactly? Uh, Oh, Mike, back in that that beautiful, beautiful industrial city of Harco on JD Prime. Yeah. Because uh, we start off in a palace. Oh, yeah, yeah. We are in the family. Okay. Wait, yeah, did you, right, right. Would you do a second thought of like, no. where else on Gandy Prime are we going to go, Mike? No, I, I, it just flew right by me. They only have the one town. Um, <laughs> one town. Well, at least we only named it. Oh, but, my goodness. And like, I got a, I got a wine that's perfect for this chapter. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. If, if the Baron is going to show back up, we <laughs> might as well get a wine that's called Baron Herzog. Oh, Baron Herzog. Wait, wasn't Her- didn't Herzog mean Duke in German? Uh, Herzog does mean Duke in German. Baron it Duke? It still does, even. Um, <laughs> it, it did. Yeah. <laughs> no, we changed it. Just last week. Just last, yeah, yeah. The Germans are really up to date. They're always <laughs> refiling words. Um, but it, despite it's going off of German, it's a Californian wine. It's nice, a nice. Chardonnay, uh, 2017. But yeah, Baron Duke just seems so fitting since we're going back into this. Mm-hmm. And Mike, it's it's pretty good. I took a sip before we started. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we got in the back is telling us to look out for notes of baked pear, apple blossom, and Meyer lemon. Those are very specific. Very, very. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, no, not fresh pear, baked pear, and some <laughs> apple blossom. We couldn't get a full apple in there. Meyer lemon, though, you can't go wrong. Uh, and then you a, can't a, get a full apple, but you can get a lemon. <laughs> we, oh yeah, we can get a specific lemon. <laughs> and we got a, a touch of oak, gives hints of caramel, unique to Baron Herzog Chardonnay. Uh, enjoy this wine, slightly chilled. Well, that works for us, Mike. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sarah, I know, I know. We got you. <laughs> uh, and uh, they tell us we should. Uh, what do we want? Pair it with herb roasted chicken or almond crusted fish. I mean, I had a cracker before this, so yeah, that sounds close that enough. That's pretty right? good. Yeah, yeah, that's like the the crust on the fish, I think. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, no, it's it's pretty good flavor. It's very very mellow though. Yeah, actually, I, I just took a like, sip, like tranquil almost. Okay, that's a word. It is a word. I don't know if I would use tranquil. Tranquil? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. How? What are you? What are you feeling? I just don't get like a big bloom or a full body. It sort of like passes me by and then leaves this lemony. Echo. Like yeah, for sure, mellow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I just I, I didn't think of uh, using the adjective tranquil to describe this wine. Yeah, this one. It's my sleepy wine. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> this is your walking wine. I get it. Your bedtime <laughs> wine. This is my get up in the morning wine. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. Ever had a uh, limoncello? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of, like, the taste of uh, limoncello. So it's got a little bit of that, like, citrus, mm-hmm. but, like, it, it's very smooth. Yeah, and very, it's got, it's Yeah, sweet. almost creamy. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's pretty dead on. Uh, I definitely get that more than that, that baked pear. Don't know where that is in the glass, but maybe, <laughs> maybe it'll show up halfway through the episode as we keep going. But it, it is, like, it's very drinkable. It's really yeah, nice. It's dangerous. Even, I'm even almost done with my first glass. <laughs> We're not even, what, like, five minutes in? No, no, we have not gotten far. <laughs> we, we just we just hit record. Um, 
walked right into this. But let's go on and um, oh oh Derek, what's what's I up? got news for you. Ooh, I love news, Mike. Yeah, uh, hold, this trans, hold on, chapter. <laughs> this trans message came in straight from the CH. <laughs> we got a new patron this week. Ooh, yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, should I have waited on the wine? Yeah, maybe you should have. I'm so sorry. You screwed it up. It's okay. I mean, okay. I'm pretty down in mind. You know too. what? I twist my arm. I'll, I'll refill my glass. <laughs> oh, no. oh. But uh, yeah. So coming in at our uh, Ratchog tier, we've got Kevin Zambo. Kevin Zambo? Yeah. Thank you so much. Welcome. Enjoy your Rashok. Yeah, enjoy the Rashok. A little bit of that prescience for some early episodes. Yeah, that is awesome. So, so more importantly, hey, congratulations, Kevin, but happy birthday, Fade. Happy birthday, Fade. Congratulations, <laughs> Kevin. We uh, we just scribbled his name on the gift we got for Fade. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's for Kevin, too. Yeah. It's for Kevin and Fade. <laughs> but again, like, thank you so much. Uh, we really can't do this without our Patreon supporters. Yeah. It makes life so much easier for us. And... Gives us an excuse to crack open that encyclopedia more often. Yeah. I love. You got any other news for me? No. Am I, am I free to go now? Yep, that's my news. All right. Taking uh, off from the distrans and back in, we have our quote in the beginning of the chapter here. Mm-hmm. And this one, I don't even really have to ask you where it applies in the chapter because it's going to get mentioned directly in the chapter. Oh. I don't yeah, know if yeah. you caught it as we go through. Uh, but it's the concept of progress acts as a pre- protective mechanism to shield us from the terrors of the future. And that is, it's very Lovecraftian to me, is how that came off of, uh, kind of scares me. Yeah, it gives me like this sort of like the terrors of the future is uh, a kind of Lovecraftian idea to me, or a concept of just like, there's nothing good that ever comes. Like it always is going to get worse, but we have this illusion we build up of like, no, we're making progress, we're making things better, hmm. uh, but it can all come crashing down in a second and eventually time will render it all obsolete. Or what do you draw from here? I mean, I just think of it in terms of almost like misdirection, where mm-hmm. even if your destination is a terrible place, you may not know or care, just depending on like how well the ride is going. Progress always makes me think of like, we're doing something well, we're going in the right direction, mm-hmm. things are getting better, things are improving, we're making headway, but it doesn't really matter if your destination is just like full of terrible things. I like it. So for you, it's sort of like a, a distraction. Yeah, it's like and blinders it, on a horse. I, I can focus on this. I can get this done mm-hmm. and not even worry about this other thing. And Or uh, how you can get like so overwhelmed if you're paying attention to everything and like lose track of yourself. Like if you're just like buried in the news of the world, mm-hmm. you can find all the terrible stories you want, but you know what? Focus on your own life because there are many happy things that are going to happen in like your day-to-day kind of uh, example. And that could be the progress you build on. No, that's a good way of looking at it too. So... With how this is going to apply into the chapter, we're obviously going to kind of really apply this to the Baron mm-hmm. and how the Baron feels about how things are going. Right, right. But in the future, it seems that things aren't going to be great for him. And we're very, <laughs> we're, we're, we're drawing some foreboding uh, storm no. clouds in the sky. Uh, what do you think of Mo, uh, this being a saying of Moadib and him like potentially saying this to Irulan? Mm, I don't know. Because I would just think, like, since was it uh, Hasmir Fenring shows up, he's on this Imperial mission. Mm-hmm. I assume everything in this dialogue is basically archived somewhere in the Carino household, right? Mm-hmm. And that, like, Irulan's probably read this verbatim. Like, whatever oh. report he generated. Because she's going to have that, like, historical background. Access to that. And the Bene Gesserit angle on it. For whatever report Lady Margot files away. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like, her doings down on this planet. So I just think she has, like, unique access to that information, how it would all kind of correlate together, where she does have a full picture of what's going on here. That, yeah. As well as an understanding of whatever the hell Thufir is up to, but... 
get to that as we go through the yeah, chapter. There's a lot of pieces in this one. There's a lot of moving part. It's because like it's our next big update to the plan, quote unquote, right. writer's plan. Like the remnants of it. We're now seeing everyone he's, adding. He's like, not their, gone yet, Derek. Uh, no, no, we're gonna ride his coattails to the very end, Mike. Like the Baron doesn't have an original thought. Come on. <laughs> All right, I don't think I have anything else uh, to pull out of that if you want to just get started. Let's go. Let's move. So, it's Fade's 17th birthday. Happy birthday, you murderous son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> He's killed a hundred or 99 slave gladiators. Up until point. now. Yeah. We're going to have our 100th match today. But before we can do that, we need to go meet the uh, the Imperial Court has sent two Imperial observers. Oh, Some amazing people that I'm so glad make their appearance. The Count Hasmir Fenring and Lady Margot Fenring. And uh, we just talked about this beforehand of the pronunciation of Margot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you totally corrected me of that. I've been called it Margot. Uh, right. Cause, hey. And, like, I, I just followed suit as well. It was <laughs> yeah. like, Derek knows better. But, like, the more we've been doing this show, the more I realized Derek, Derek doesn't know better. better. <laughs> no. But I'm very confident. I'm very, very confident. confident. Yeah, no. You fooled me. But uh, I, think it's, I think it is pronounced Margot. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely has, like, a French origin. Yeah. Uh, and so the meaning of the name Margot in French, it's actually Pearl. Oh! Uh, which is, I think, very fitting for her, because she's obviously very beautiful and singular. Mm-hmm. So they've been sent to do this little observation, and it's very multifaceted. We're going to unpack uh, what they have said they're here to do and then what they're really here to do, because it seems like they're two divergent uh, goals almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have uh, the Baron kind of coming in. He's got Fade with him. Fade were referred to as our Nah Baron. Did I catch that at all? Yeah. yeah. Did you look that up? Uh, isn't it just like Baron in waiting almost? Or like yeah. the heir? Yep. Uh, the Nah is a prefix and it's going to be nominated or next in line. Ah. So thus Nah means uh, heir apparent to the barony. Gotcha. Baron. Perfect. Yep. Uh, and then uh, it has been declared a holiday to reinforce uh, Fade's status as an heir. We have a meridian ah. to meridian rest from labor on the planet. So everyone's getting the day off today. Everyone in Harkin. Unless you're on the poles, in which case <laughs> keep working. Yep. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I guess it's zero <laughs> yeah. degree. That one guy, and you know the Baron would put someone there. Yeah. Like someone is stationed there. Someone who failed their last job, like, you don't get to rest. He's the only guy on the radio, like, what's going on? (laughs) Who's winning? Trying to tune it in. Uh, Oh, man, there probably are. I assume, like, uh, and they would have to sound like Latin soccer casters and just, like, go really fast, like, really into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, coming in, we get sort of the Count's impression of what this city is like, right? Mm -hmm. It's a super industrial place, and they have whitewashed all the buildings on, uh, it's called uh, Court Way. And we have these new banners flying gaily in the air. But if you look down any of the, like, um, alleyways shooting off, you can see it's just piles of refuse, brown, rust, mold, like... It's disgusting. They don't try. Mm-hmm. Only what's in eyesight going down is what's decorated up. Uh, very Harkonnen way. Because I think a big impression we're going to get is how cheap the Baron is uh, on yeah. all accounts. <laughs> like everything in here is pretty like. He's a fresh paint of infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. We can do an infrastructure. Uh, we can do a lot of building. But and you, you, know, you would think it would end better results too. Uh, all in all, <laughs> better results. Yeah, what well, does everything would be more efficient? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't get how the Baron's uh, methods are better for him, considering how jealousy is always going to be of the Duke and how the Duke mm-hmm. did business. Also, uh, is this happening at the same time that Paul and Jessica are making their way to CH Tabar? 
Ooh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think, uh, uh, okay, the best time frame element we have is Thufir, actually. We know roughly, like, within the first days of Paul going, he was captured. Mm. So now he would have had to be transported back to Gaiety Prime, it sounds, if okay. the Baron's using him and the Counts come here to uh, confront him on that matter. So, yeah, I'd say, like, maybe it's been a couple weeks. We might even be chronologically a little ahead jumping uh, to maybe. this point. Maybe. But it will definitely, it will sync back up by the time our characters kind of uh, start influencing each other again. Right. Uh, but I think it, that's a good point that if we just have a window to kind of guess at. So we find ourselves inside the Baron's Keep, and it's very uh, fearfully protected at this point, right? Mm-hmm. We have, like, uh, the count, or through the count's eyes again, there are guards everywhere. They have guns that clearly look well used. Checkpoints have been set up inside the Baron's own, like, castle, essentially, to go from parts of it uh, one to the other. Mm-hmm. You're going to get it checked out. And the servants all betray their military training. So, But the Count also, he's got a little bit of Bene Gesserit training. So they might be hiding it pretty good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that out there. So does that mean that, like, he's he's running out of, like, people and they're pretty, pretty much people are doing, like, double duty? Like, what's No, going? no, I think it's more of, like, how paranoid the Baron always is. Oh. Like, I, don't, I think inside of his keep, yeah, you're not going to find a normal person. You're going to find, like, essentially what he wants to be his saddle car. I see. These are all trained guards. These are all loyal. They probably have, like, something held over all their head. They all have blackmail. That kind of a deal. Gotcha. Uh, so I think that's the point that they're making here. And this is unusual, and this is something the Baron's done intentionally. Uh, but not out of a point of weakness, out of a point of, like, defensiveness. Because mm-hmm. uh, he says, like, by their walk, the set of their shoulders, and the way their eyes watch. That's, like, the key component to them all. Like, they're all looking for bad tr- right. trouble, essentially. And the first one to break the dialogue in here is Count Fenring. Yeah, yeah, he comes on and he uh, he hummed to his lady in their secret language. So I did this uh, way back. We had a Hasbro quote come up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was very confused. Yeah, this is what it is. <laughs> so in the book, uh, they always like write it out. Um, but I do think it is more like if you were standing next to it, you would just hear, hmm. And, like, all right. the language is in there. Like, it is literally kind of coded on, like, a frequency level that the Bene Gesserit would decipher, hmm. right? And so the Count tells her, the pressure's on. The Baron is just beginning to see the price he really paid to rid himself of the Duke Leto. And the lady responds, sometime I must recount for you the legend of the Phoenix. Hmm. Yeah, that one, that stood out to me of, like, I don't know uh, fully what to make of that line. Because at this point... Lady Margot does not know that Paul is alive, and she's going to give us a weird enigmatic hint at the end of the chapter that, like, maybe she knows more than what's going on. Uh, I don't have a clear answer for you, regardless. So I'm telling you, like, in the book, we're never going to know. So we get to speculate wildly here. Hmm. But what what do you think is going on with that line? Who is the phoenix there? I think just the House Atreides in general. Okay. And the idea that, like, just because you kill it once doesn't mean it won't come back. Mm-hmm. Like, technically, uh, they still have Thufir. Sure. Uh, which, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe under the employ of the Harkonnens, technically, but he was still of House Atreides. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't uh, have any idea what happened to Gurney. Yeah. Maybe even just oh, the like, paranoia, I think, in general, just saying, like, you never know what ghosts will be lurking. Yeah, no, I like, or even, like, some Atreides cousin. Yeah. Come back to avenge the family. You know what you just got me kind of thinking of is... uh. 
saying that someone coming back, uh, and this is going to be leaning on the encyclopedia a little bit, but Rock Karn, the yep. bear, like the Harkonnens themselves have come back from almost That's obliteration, true. right? And yeah. clawed their way back to the top of the pile, or at least close to. They're so, on their way. I think the Baron just, he's not letting anything go to chance. Okay. The other thing I kind of see here is the possibility that we know Margot is here to seduce Fade and basically patch up the breeding line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe she is referring to the Quisach Hadarak and like knowing Paul was part of that plan, like, yeah, that's gone. Uh, but ultimately the Bene Gesserit are going to usurp whatever the Baron is after. I don't mean, I definitely know that's what they're doing for sure. Yeah. But I don't think that's what the you don't think what Phoenix it, yeah, refers yeah. to. I think uh, that's a little too. But well, it, no, I'd say it still applies perfectly to like the only evidence we have here. And that, cause the Phoenix is saying like, we destroyed the one breeding thing, but we can make it come right back to mm-hmm. life with all the same components. Essentially. We just have to get them and restart over and take sure, a few sure, years. Sure. But it, like the possibility of the trades, And then we have to leave open, I guess this idea that the Bene Gesserit know something about Paul through some channel. Because definitely it's a reverend mother who's instructed her in all of mm-hmm. this. So maybe she is talking about Paul specifically. And there's something, something they know for some uh, unknown reason. The reason I think it also refers to the Atreides is when you think of Legend of the Phoenix, a fiery, a fiery bird, bird. But yeah. a, a red hawk. Yeah. Like, I think that's also like a good parallel you could possibly make. I think just, connection just connecting the yeah. bird, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. That's another good one. Uh, to just lay, more layer in there. Yeah. Uh, like, add it on. So, at this point, we're kind of waiting in this reception hall. And the count, or I can't know, I don't remember if it's the count or the lady, but they kind of look at the architecture in it. Mm-hmm. And this hall is actually kind of small and dinky, but it uses every trick in the book to make it seem grander and larger than it is. With, like, <laughs> there's, the there's mirrors along the walls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and again... Cheap fucking Baron. Mm-hmm. Like, he is so bad on every level. Uh, and He that, likes to be so grandiose, but he doesn't actually spend his money. Right. Well, I mean, I guess, okay, he yeah. has had to be stingy. They've been <laughs> okay. saving up for several yeah. decades. So that, that is a great point. The penny pinchers. <laughs> you can totally turn this, like, uh, critique on him around to, like, he's very pragmatic, and he saved up for the toy <laughs> he really wanted. <laughs> yeah. No, you are right. <laughs> He might be way more responsible <laughs> than I'm giving him credit for. I am reassessing this. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had, like, inferiority to the emperor of kind of what he's feeling, that he's dressing everything up to sort of mock uh, measure to it. But I, I think there's a pragmatism yeah, that yeah, I did yeah. not appreciate. Um, That's why it's like, you hey, know you, got, you got one job now that you're taking over on Arrakis. We need money. <laughs> I'm going to have to revisit the melting down of the artillery. And be like, maybe, maybe you do. Actually, yeah. I was like, no, we need the metal. He's like, maybe you understand. You We're very poor right now. We're very, very poor. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a genius. And oh, uh, the way that you get that metal back to Harko without paying extra for transporting the guild, mm. take out all your soldiers' teeth, you melt them down to little teeth, and <laughs> get fake teeth in there, or braces. Braces for everyone. And braces. <laughs> I like it. I like that. They probably pulled one guy's teeth out. <laughs> like, that was a mess. <laughs> you can just get braces? <laughs> oh, well, let's do that. They, they were halfway done, though. So it's yeah. like half of a really weird smile. It's got a pretty good grill. <laughs> You do got to give all the metal back, though. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. It's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> so the Baron, he's going to come in, and he has a uh, fade is right at his arm. Mm-hmm. And the Baron is like, oh, my God, his fat is just like this waddling mess of jiggles, essentially. <laughs> 
But I love Fade's outfit because Fade is rocking bell bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> Where it's like, <laughs> that would come to a bell shape at the end. That was trendy, right? <laughs> that's well, that yeah. fairly new. Yeah. Um, I think that's great. In the <laughs> 60s, he's rocking bell bottoms and he has ringlet curls. Do you know what that looks like? No. Mike, all right. Uh, I'm, okay, give me a picture. Yeah, yeah, because you need to have a full image of this. All right, those are ringlet curls. Wait, what? So Fade Routh is rocking ringlets. Yeah, and you guys definitely do a little Google search. They're like tight okay. down curls all coming off of his head. Uh, God, he looks. He must look ridiculous. And then just imagine it's Sting on top of that. Because <laughs> that's who it was in the no, Wait, did Sting have ringlets? No, no, they don't do this scene. Oh. Um, he should have ringlets, though. <laughs> It's so funny. So Stinglets. Margaret, uh, she looks over at uh, Fade and notes his musculature. And then uh, this is the boy who's not going to let himself go fat. You know, he's not going to end up like the Baron. And um, the Baron moves forward and kind of grabs Fade possessively. And he introduces everyone. And uh, he tells Fade, like, ah, oh, this is whom I've spoken. And Fade bows. And he definitely gives uh, Mar- uh, Margo some elevator eyes. Yeah. Uh, he, he checks her out hardcore. Because he dips his head with the required courtesy. He stared at the Lady Fenring. She was golden-haired and willowy, her perfection of figure, clothed in a flowing gown of ecru. Simple fitness of form without ornament. Gray-green eyes stared back at him. She had the Bene Gesserit serene repose about her that the young man found subtly disturbing. I like that. Do you think she has some sort of uh, blood tie to Jessica? Um, Just thinking of the green eyes. Uh, hmm. No, I, I, cause like the, I mean, the gray I mean, she green. She might have some similar. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying. Uh, I mean, they're definitely the same thing, but gray green is a little different than green, but uh, I, I don't know. I think it's just like, they're very unique and like, it's a beautiful color. True. Uh, but I'm also thinking in terms of striking. like, she's trying to preserve the bloodline. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you are. There's no doubt she right. is in some way. Right. They're mm-hmm. at least cousins. Uh, cause they gotta be, you're near the end of the line. Right. You guys can't be more than a few <laughs> degrees off. Uh, and then we're pretty sure that she just has a different mother. So maybe like grandmother could be the same or something right, like that. Right, right. But no, I think you are right in some manner that they, they all are so close at this point. And that's why Margot is able to be, go here to be this uh, patch mm-hmm. in the whole plan and try to pick this up. From this, the count turns and he kind of studies Fade over. And in very like coded speech, he asks uh, Margot if Fade is the precise boy. And we're going to learn, like, as we get through this chapter, like I said, she's here to patch up the blood war line, right? Mm-hmm. She's here to seduce Fade. Uh, she doesn't know who Fade is, really, before she comes here. Right. So this is, like, the first time they're sort of seeing him, and I think there is a bit of an assessment just to make sure. Uh, I, so you I, think they're having a secret conversation right now? Yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so anytime... That there's the little... Exactly. We're in coded speech, and I would even go so far as to say there are a few times where the, the Count just says, hmm. I, was, I feel like he has uh, created this entire persona of, like, this is just how he talks, and he will always talk like this regardless of who's around. The cone of silence wasn't really that, this. That's true. Like, he kind of switches up right quick, right? True. Uh, I think that's because the 
the Baron knows him on a different level. Well, and you're dropping you're dropping all the bullshit, right? Because you were in a cone of silence, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, is that the, just an unspoken rule? Like when you're in the cone of silence, you just like let it all hang. Well, he's also. We'll get to that one. Okay. I, have a, I have a few uh, inflections on that whole conversation. I it guess just, uh, just feels like yeah. No, when he's not in the presence of someone that he knows, like you I, think he falls into that as like a a ploy. And yeah, a, like a it's a mask. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, though, I think every time, even in the text, when Frank Herbert just writes the MMMMMM and we don't get uh, a coded message, I think he's still saying something to Margot or like under the breath that just like is going to go past all of us. And is very much like when Jessica has the that one glance with the Reverend Mother. Right. And we say more was exchanged in that glance than like the True. whole day. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. we're like, but we're not going to tell you what it was. And we just move on. Like, I think something is always buried in here. Um, and that is part of what I find really engaging and alluring about Count Fenring. Is right. He's got this little, this mysteriousness and he, he's so doing his own thing. Well, I didn't realize it was a secret language until the end of the chapter. Oh, that is, <laughs> that must be a little shocking. Of like, because I like just said it, you. I mean that you didn't oh, know well, that yeah, the no, Baron I mean, wasn't it, overhearing him. I did. I did. Uh, it does mention like the uh, secret language here, right? But so I'm saying the first time through, did you not get that it wasn't being overheard by the other people? Because they have a at the end of the they have a conversation in front of a guard captain. And you stuff. know, I and yeah. I re- yeah, no, I realized that. Yeah. Okay. I just thought so. You, you knew that it was it's like secret between the two. Yeah, well, I didn't know it was a conversation. I thought like he was just sort of like using some sort of code to Margot to like let her let her know something because she never responds at all mm-hmm. in any of this. Yeah, yeah, up That's, until the end, right? Until like the, yeah, yeah, they finally have their their little heart to heart. No, yeah, she just sort of like I don't even think she says anything to him, like you no. said, and uh, it sort of just continues on with the Baron cutting in, right? And he's saying, like, oh, I told my nephew of the great esteem our emperor holds for you, mm. Count Fenring. Because, so, yeah, the count pushes him. I'm like, what exactly did you tell the boy about us? Not and just I, that. I mean, he keeps saying the word precise young man when it comes to fade. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, uh, yeah, the, the count. Uh, oh, oh, my God. Why the count's so good. He always chooses his words so carefully. Mm-hmm. Where he uses precise when he does speak up, too. What precisely did you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's key for him, to, again, talking to Margot on the side here. Right. When you cut into this. Uh, and the Baron told him, like, you know, the esteem we hold for you. Uh, and the Baron, uh, he thinks to himself, like, mark him well, Fade. A killer with the manners of a rabbit. This is the most dangerous kind. Yeah, no, I definitely think Vlad is fully versed in who Count Venring is. Yep, yeah, he yeah. knows he knows him well. Yeah, and like yeah. what a just killer with the manners of a rabbit. Mm, that is devious. Um, and uh, the Count is just going to keep playing, and he pushes everyone's buttons through this whole chapter. And Fade, he's finding the Count like insulting, but it's just not to the point where you can call it out, right? He's he just like it just feels insulting. The yeah. Oh, they're all backhanded compliments yeah. in so many ways. Um, a small, weak-looking man, weaselly face with overlarge dark eyes. Ooh, yep, that's our count. In the count, uh, he goes on and he actually compliments the Baron on his perfect air, in light of the Elder, <laughs> the Elder being Raban. <laughs> <laughs> and the Baron bows, but Fade uh, he sees he does not agree with like the courtesy of it. He doesn't like. I feel like it's you know you're for, you're bound to bow by the right. etiquette, and like no one makes the Baron bow. But that's probably why the uh, count phrased it in such a way. Right, right, right. And then the count gives like another backhanded compliment because uh, the Baron says he's too kind and 
The count goes, when you're mm, ironic, that suggests you're thinking deep thoughts. <laughs> like you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, you called me a deep thinker, but you didn't call me out on that first one in front of like, uh, there are some houses minor like mingling around in mm. this room. Like they can overhear some of it's this It's like insulting, but not like outwardly into the fact, like in a way that you could like challenge someone to a duel or like Conley or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Conley specifically. Like we're learning... Or we're kind of uh, defining the edges of imperial etiquette without being told, like, what the rules are, what you right. can and cannot do. We're just being shown, like, well, that's apparently not across the line, so you can go this far mm-hmm. in all things. Now, Fade, like, he can't really follow the count. He says it's like feeling his mind be dragged through mush or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the way the count's, like, all over the place. His words are so ambiguous in meaning, and he's never so definite on things. So Fade turns his attention to Margot, and uh, at this point, she sort of says, Margot cutting in, like, you know what, we're taking up Fade's time, he does have the arena after all, and Fade is just, he's smitten by her at this point, and he refers, uh, I think this is one of our glossary words, right, Horace? Because he says, by the Horace of the Imperial Harem, she's a lovely one, Fade route the thought. Yeah. And those are the uh, the virgins in uh, that meet you in heaven? Yeah, you're right. They're the women who accompany faithful believers in paradise. So, Fade, uh, he's going to make an offer here. Ooh, Ooh they're what? also oh. analogous to nymphs in Greek polytheism. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. So, Horis are like uh, almost like a semi-mystical thing. Yeah, I like I like taking down the Greek angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that one more. Now, Fade offers to dedicate uh, this kill in the arena to Lady Margot today. And she looks him over and stares serenely back, but her voice carried whiplash as, he sa- as she says, you do not have my permission. Ooh. Love that. <laughs> you know what she did? She's playing hard to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's just pulling out this kid. Um, <laughs> now the Baron sounds up. It's like, I love the, uh, <laughs> the inflection on here, too. Both Hasmir and Margot. A lot of their dialogue in this is italicized, so you definitely know, like, they're really enunciating certain words mm-hmm. and points, uh, which is why I love that I can hear. It's like, you do not have my permission. Yeah, it, it's honestly, it's one of the more obviously constructed chapters, mm-hmm. I think, as you go through it, where it's very mechanical and how the characters are operating, mm-hmm. but it great, it's a great scene, and you know, like, the whole purpose this is serving in the story thus far is we're, like, going through this pivotal point we're again juxtaposing Paul and um, Fade really hard because Paul just had a duel last chapter. Mm-hmm. We're going into Fade's duel this chapter. And we're watching both of them sort of ascend through the ranks as they enter manhood. Paul, just at the time of the Mina, he was a few years younger, but he's caught up, right? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a man now. He's a man. We he did, did Paul's it. bat mitzvah. We got to do Fade's now. You got to have a... <laughs> every bat mitzvah has a knife fight. Always. Always. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is also really cool and telling of how similar and like uh, well paired Margot and Hasmir are because uh, Hasmir looks one way but speaks in a different way, like yeah. one direction and speaks in a different direction. And I think that's true in this scene where she returns the stare serenely at Fade, but her voice carries whiplash. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, it's very similar. Yeah. I would also like to say on the count thing too, let alone the direction he's speaking, I feel like it's the same. It's also on topics. 
Oh, where, yeah. Like, I'm talking about one topic, but I'm really mentioned talking about this other right, thing, right. right? Like, yeah, there's always this uh, multifacetedness to these two people. Uh, and it makes them like they're such cool characters. Mm-hmm. They, they've been off screen this whole time, right? Yeah. We had Margaret's one letter, but it seems like they've just been really prime influencers uh, the whole way through. So where we were at with um, her not giving the permission, the Baron is worried. He kind of sounds up. It's like, fade. And he's worried that the Count could call him out. This is apparently yeah. across the line. Like, that <laughs> was like you do much. not do that. Damn. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is one of, again, the weird rules of the Imperium like- we're kind of learning. And, uh, you know, the Count, though, he just sort of, like, hums away. And yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. that's like... What's he saying to Margo yeah, right there? Yeah, <laughs> that'd be interesting to I'm know. Just like, mm, should I kill him? Mm, no, I'll hold, I'll hold, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, uh, yeah, no, I don't <laughs> think he would do that, though. Yeah, I think, it, like, uh, they came here for a purpose, so it's, that's not on the table. No, no, definitely no. not. No, that's the extreme. But, but, like, uh, but there's something there of just, like, them assessing, I think, maybe oh. the relationship between the two. Oh, maybe. The power dynamic between Fade and oh, um, for sure. the Baron. But, uh, you know, uh, Vlad's just like, am I already going to lose my air? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. what are you doing, buddy? Oh, you're and it Also, it, it does tell you, too, like, how deadly is Hazmir? Very, oh, yeah. Very. Because, like, the Baron is afraid of him. Yeah. No, no, I mean, this is the Emperor's assassin. Right. Thufir is brilliant, whereas, like, Hazmir is just capable. Mm-hmm. Like there, I think there's, uh, there's no doubt that Hasmir is chopped off. He was, I mean, he was trained to be a Quisaj Hatterak. I'm just like, like that I'm, was his training. I'm just telling you, I'm getting some Piter vibes here from, uh, from the count from the count. Yeah. Oh, he's, oh, I don't want, I don't, he's different than Piter, I guess. Piter. I don't want to, I will never diminish that intellect. Yeah. That's no. sublime. That definitely shouldn't. Uh, no, Not in no. my presence, at least. Never, never. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're planning capabilities. Watch uh, Fedrick's plans. Mm-hmm. Let's see where he goes. Now, the uh, the hums, let's talk to Margaret potentially. And then the Baron right. is sort of just tells like, well, Fade, I guess you should be going. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here quick. And he he changes his mind. Yeah, right. Uh, and then again, this is like the Baron. He doesn't want Fade to take any risks, you know, not in the arena. Go rest up, essentially. And Fade bows. He very much resents this. Mm. and uh, But he takes his leave. And he, I like that he comments of just like, I'm sure everything will go precisely how you want or something mm-hmm. or how you expect. And this is just like a good slap of how <laughs> these are always rigged. This isn't a real fight. Right, right, right. We're going to like a basically uh, local theater um, yeah. as you go out and fight these guys. It's a big joke. Because um, they're always like drugged and like, yeah. Yeah, they're drugged. They're like beaten. They're also like the lowest cast versus mm-hmm. like this elite train. This kid's been trained as much as Paul has. Right. In terms of like fighting style. Maybe, well, probably not as much. You know, Paul's always get that exception because, I mean, Duncan and Gurney. Right. Duncan and Gurney. But who knows who trained uh, Fade. And uh, we get uh, Lady Margot's thoughts as Fade's leaving. And she goes like, um, can that be the young man the Reverend Mother meant? Is that a bloodline we must preserve? And that getting that mission statement from her mm-hmm. is what I connect back to um, Hasmir's assessment being like, is this the precise young boy? Of them, I, like, I don't, I don't. I think there's this room where they had to I, literally identify, like, is it really him? Like this guy? Because we, I don't know. I don't. I think this just reinforces the fact that, like, I don't think they were talking about like, oh, this is the one. Um, How would it? Re- it it's difficult. How would it reinforce that it doesn't? Because she thinks to herself, is this the one? Wouldn't she know that if they were having that conversation? 
I well, why would she have the thought? Yeah. Of like, I, I don't know why she is questioning. You would think going to get this really important bloodline, mm. maybe we had a picture of Fade. Um, maybe someone's like, this kid, this is the <laughs> yeah, kid. You, you know need- what? Just signatures, pictures, names, what? <laughs> first names, people. <laughs> why don't we have these things? The Imperium is very loose on paperwork. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know I'm thinking Liet. I'm like, fucking get a first name. Like, basic information does not get passed along. <laughs> yeah, the Emperor's going to have an audit on Baron. Like, what are you going to audit? What the? Yeah. <laughs> your receipts for yeah. your Sato card? Here's the abacus. Just shake it like an extra sketch real quick. It's outrageous. Uh, but so with that, fate kind of leaves. And uh, it, that really is like the close of that first part of the chapter, I feel, where mm-hmm. we get to move on to the next section. Because again, before we get to the fight, we're going to go deal with a little cone of silence, right? Yeah, yeah. And have this whole little diatribe. Uh, the Baroness, the Count, like right at this point, like, hey, maybe we can go have our little talk now, right? We got a little time before the arena goes on. And uh, he mentions there's a lot of progress we need to talk about. And that makes me reflect on that chapter like perhaps, quote right perhaps there. Perhaps we could have our little talk now. Like, this is another reason that the, the count is here. Like, they, he needs to catch up. Oh, oh no, this is the yeah. reason. So, there are two missions. The mis- emperor sent him here with a message. I, I was just going to say, there are two missions the count is ultimately on. Right. He's here for the Bene Gesserit, which we'll get to at the end. Mm-hmm. And he is officially here for the emperor. That yeah. is all the Baron knows, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy we've come here under is literally to give this message we're about to dive into. That's the only thing he's actually here to do. Um, from Or at least under the Imperial uh, kind of mm-hmm. stamp and decree. Uh, but I just love that the Baron mentions all this progress they have talked about. Like that is his, again, with protecting him from the terrors right. of the future. He's focusing on all this great progress he's made. And uh, Vlad, he doesn't think that Hasmir is going to be straight with him, right? He's like, he's going to be very coy. And yeah, I, I'm yeah, going yeah. to get ready for this mentally. And uh, Hasmir, in turn, he kind of says goodbye to Margot. And she leaves. Um, and, like, as she's going, all conversation by the door stops. Like, all these houses minor that were mm-hmm. collected. And everyone's eyes kind of follow her. The Baron notices mm. this. And it just gets the hair on his neck, and he hates this. And just like Bene Gesserit doesn't like them. No, like he wants to rid the universe of them. We'd be the better for it. So, and I think that's gonna hyper in back to when he was seduced back in the day. Whatever happened with that when yeah. they got that original seed from him, he's never forgiven that. I'd like to figure out more about that and like how that happened. I know. I, I wish we never, we're never gonna oh. get the insight we want. Frank never got there. So, um. They head over to what is familiar to us, of course, Count of Silence. Yeah, we, we talked about that. Yeah, we did pretty good on that one, too. Uh, and it's very much also like um, when Raban and uh, the Baron were talking on that spaceship and we mm-hmm. put up that field. It's going right, to be right. like that when you go into it. Um, and this one is set up between two pillars, and it's sort of on the left of where we were talking. And it's going to keep, uh, or rather, when you go into it, the rest of the sounds from the keep become dull and distant mm-hmm. you know, from the rest and then no one's going to hear and then to be extra safe they turn to face the wall turn to face the, so you have these two guys <laughs> looking at a this wall this is basically just like a urinal chat right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> in between two pillars the floating baron <laughs> <laughs> what a sight this must be <laughs> next to like I assume I always want the count to be pretty dapper too. Yeah. Like, well, he is. He's an, a dapper. Uh, like, yeah. So we got some flashy yeah, yeah. colors, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's a strange, strange <laughs> sight. And uh, Hasmir, 
he's not going to be very coy. He's going to be extremely blunt with the Baron. Yeah. And he's just like, the Emperor is upset with the Sado car. <laughs> we're just like, oh, Ooh. shit, we're going to say that out loud right now? I just love it. Uh, earlier, because the Baron says, oh, let's see how he gets this message without ever being so cross as to speak it outright. And then immediately, like, oh, he's saying it outright. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh, like, no. We got some bills. <laughs> and, um, I love this because, like, this was the aha moment for me. Ooh, in what way? Well, because you get the, mm, um, you mean from, the, mm, um, oh God, this is going to be a horrible episode to listen back to. <laughs> Probably. But uh, you hear him saying that the whole time and then it just drops almost completely from this point on. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. when like, I really get to the, the idea where like, it's always just a facade mask he has. Because, like, the house miners would never so, know. So part of that is to the inflection uh, just done by the audiobook. Well, the audio, I was about to get to the audiobook. Okay. But yeah, yeah, and then but, uh, you do in the text draw. I just think it's very dramatic in the audiobook. I thought that's what you were just referencing. Now. Oh no, just um, the, the fact that like you don't get this anymore. Yeah, yeah, it does textually and, change too. Like the cadence of it is totally, yeah. uh, it's a uh, different and more uh, rigid. It, it just reinforces the facade to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the audiobook, when you listen to it, he sa- he sounds almost malicious. Yeah, no, there's like a nice edge that kind of comes yeah. out. Right, it was uh, almost playful going into it. That's what I'm saying. Like, gives me Piter vibes, man. Yeah, that's why I need I need a Fenring in the movie so bad, Mike. <laughs> I need this character to come through. I, 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 is there going to be Fenring in the film? I don't know. Probably don't not. Know. Probably not. It's I can see Can't why. Imagine. Yeah, yeah. He's only he. <laughs> this is the first time he finally showed up. So I mean, unless he's a key player later on, but Ooh, I don't know. Mm, I love. Him. What was that you want to say? Mm, yeah. Mm, <laughs> did you, you didn't get it? I just no, said I everything, Mike. Uh, so <laughs> I got to press on then. <laughs> The problem beyond the Sado car is that uh, Raban is not implying himself to the Fremen problem. That's what the Sado car want to solve, right? And the Baron's sort of like, what? There's like 10 guys left. What are like, you talking there about? There is no Fremen problem. <laughs> there are no Fremen. There can't be a Fremen problem. Uh, and thank God we have a genius like the Baron on staff here. Uh, someone who knows facts and relies on them. Mm-hmm. He's so open-minded and does all the research. But no, he just is like convinced and he's not willing to entertain any other possibilities still. Uh, even after that conversation we had with Raban. Yeah. Like he knows what happened to those guys. Oh, yeah. He has Thufir who was traveling with them. Like you just can't get through to the Baron. So the Baron, uh, it really gets real when he brings up the uninhabitable southern desert, right? And this, we uh, then kind of turn the conversation like, account sort of takes that of like oh you want to bring that up we'll talk about the southern desert let's talk about kinds first though real yeah. quick and we got a few lines exchanged on kinds that ultimately ends with him just being like yes so many convenient accidents my baron like they know he oh, killed him yeah they, they do no doubt and they're just putting it's that like on the yeah table. why would you even like say that it's an accident like how dumb do you think they are yeah yeah i think like uh it definitely must be like they don't have proof yeah and the, the, this is just why you send the lackey to be like i'm gonna say this we're not gonna say another word about it we both know what this means mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're all on to this more importantly though the emperor has somehow gotten a flight over the southern reaches of the planet the baron is sort of like floored by this right yeah, I'm he, I'm curious about this because uh, Fenring alludes to it that it was a smuggler. Well, I think he's lying, though. He's, but he says, a smuggler. There is an ellipsis there. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I, he's definitely lying here. I Indeed. just don't understand uh, who it is, how he did this. 
Yeah. Um, so what we get from here of like the Baron asking, was it the guild then? The guild agreed to put a watch in space and the, the count tells him, well, like, you know, we can't do that. The emperor cannot legally post a watch on Arrakis. And the Baron kind of like, and I can't afford it. So who does this? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> to be fair, the Baron can't afford basic infrastructure either. So Right, right. But yeah. pra- pragmatic. Uh, just, I just like the exasperation of just like, <laughs> and I can't buy it. So what the hell? How'd you do this? And yeah, we just get the smuggler. Um, and I, I don't know what to make of like, who did it? Maybe a Sato car? Maybe they could, maybe they just um broke the like the deal with the guild in some manner like did something illegal. Uh, it seems like the I'm willing to bet it was something illegal for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, granted, with them smuggling, and I just think that the emperor is like he's pushed into a corner at this point. I don't think he liked how all that unfolded, and he needs to make sure everything you know all the eyes are dotted, the t's are crossed, right. Uh, and the Sarokar are pissed at this point. Because part of this is like... It's like, they... Yeah, yeah. they uh, were forced off, and they wanted to stay and fight these Fremen. Uh, no, well, so they weren't... They never left. The point was, like, they decided they were staying. And it's basically, like, the Emperor is, like, humoring them, essentially. Yeah, yeah, And he's never told them to get off, but he's sort of like, whatever, they just want to kill shit. Like, keep doing your thing. Yeah. But, like, the Fremen are determined to finish what they started. Or the Sarokar are. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I guess both. Uh, just one's planting plants. Yeah, the yeah. other is killing Fremen. <laughs> You're right. Sorry. I, I hope I didn't do that more than once. In right. that <laughs> but it was, it was the Baron that uh, ordered them off. I'm just saying, no, well, like, when did he order them off? Uh, probably really quickly. Just like, you did it, you killed him. All right, get out of here. No, no, but I'm telling you, they, they just, after, we found this out when uh, we had the Raban chapter. Okay. Like, they started doing the pogrom. Yeah. They never left. They were supposed to. And they were like, we're staying until the Fremen are dead. And they started reorganizing their mission plan. The legions are all still there. Like, that's part of the problem. No, they're not. Yes, they are. We're not satisfied with the way you ordered the Sardaukar off Arrakis, the Count said. It's the first thing he said in the Cone of Silence. Hmm. Uh, okay, I'll give you that. Uh, I still contend they're there, though. I don't, uh, I don't but think I get, they are. I get what you're saying. No, no, yeah, yeah. Well, but like with who attacked Kyle and stuff, I guess, you know what? It must be in the time since maybe I'm thinking the, the well, reason I mean, they were there, like hunting every, every, that, that's all what, the rest that's of the why, house down. That's what I'm saying. I have that perception. Okay. Like, when they did the pogrom in the desert that Raban told us about, I've always assumed that this has been ongoing, but no, you are right. This conversation mm-hmm. starts with ordering them off. And then I guess it must just be the Sadakar want to go back. And they're oh, yeah, like, no, I think yeah, I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, petitioning. I'm sorry. I, but miss, I think I missed that bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I no. think it's it's not the fact that he ordered him off. It's the way he did it too. I think the Emperor now has a planet full of pissed Sardaukar. Exactly. Yeah, and that's yeah. bad. It's like all piss and vinegar up like, in a highliner. Yeah. I'm just like, we need to get <laughs> him. giving him an extra day at Disneyland. Like, I'll pay for it at that point. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's dead. Off. I think that's a little bit closer to it. But they're definitely not there. Yeah, they've, they've had to pack up and go home by some manner, but they are not happy about it. Now, the Count kind of chimes back with, uh, after this whole smuggler kind of bit, what I think is a threat here. Because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. the Baron's telling them, like, no, you can't go in the South. There's too much static and this and that. And the Count just says, we'll discuss various types of static another time. Ooh. I don't know what that means, but that sounds threatening, right? I'm just like, there's something hidden in there. I don't know, though. But it's just that it came out of the Count's mouth. I assume it means I might kill you. And uh, It's like, I think it just refers to the fact that, like, there's so many irregularities. Mm-hmm. Sort of like with Kynes' death. I would yeah. count that as, like, one of those statics that he's referring to. 
Yeah, yeah, just the yeah. whole planet. Like, you always have so many excuses for everything. Mm -hmm. The static is just one more kind of excuse you throw out at us. And, like, just never mind that. And then uh, the Baron changes the topic and goes, ah, the Baron thought, have you found some mistake in my accounting then? And then the, you know, the count, when you imagine mistakes, there can be no self-defense. Like, I like that one. That's Ooh. pretty cutting. I'm just like, if you're even thinking about it, no. Because then you're going to think of excuses to try to pass it off. Right, right, right. see right through you, Baron. Uh, and the Baron knows Hasmir is pushing his buttons. But he's he, probably like, done this before. <laughs> yeah, or it's explained. <laughs> so he, he's like calming himself, but he's already sweating. And yeah. He can smell sort of his BO rimming up. Oh, God. It's he, so bad. He's nervous and afraid standing in front of this guy. Floating. Floating. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> his toes. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> Standing does imply more effort than yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, being put forward. So the Baron, uh, he thinks so. The Emperor can object to how the boy and woman were disposed. And the Count returns mm. that there were so many convenient accidents, you know, as before. The Baron, he tries to kind of put the Count in his place uh, within this next one, but the Count assures him what will happen if any violence occurs to him. So he's yeah. like, I'm like, you know, anything could happen. <laughs> it's just like, you know, if you kill me, every minor house and every great house is going to know what you did on Arrakis. Right. Uh, and uh, I think it's um, basically Vlad's like, I can only recall transporting Sadokar. Who, me? This this innocent Baron here? Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't think anyone would buy that. Though. What did I do? We split an Uber. What are you talking <laughs> about? Yeah, um, just even trying to throw that threat back at the Count. And the Count just smiles him and he's like, Sadokar commanders could be found who'd confess they acted without orders because they wanted to battle with your Fremen scum. Mm hmm. Just like, that's terrifying. And the Baron, he's like, people would doubt such a claim. But, you know, even he doesn't believe that. And his mm -hmm. second thought is just like, holy shit, they probably could. <laughs> like, there is a Sadokar commander willing to go that far for yeah. them. That is, that is some dedication. Uh, there's no Harkonnen trooper that's going to do that, right? So... Now the uh, the count takes a swing and the Baron's ready for this one. Yeah. And this is like almost shocking where he's telling them the emperor wants to do an audit of your books. And the Baron's just like, woo, like come at him. <laughs> he like has them ready in a stack. It seems like here's this wheelbarrow of chome books. Like, yeah, but none of them are signed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just like he doesn't, he doesn't care. He wants he or I think he's been anticipating. He he wants to go the emperor Chum. into bringing him to a, a lands red trial, more or less. Yeah, because if he can. Uh, say that, like emperor was wrong like it's all in order and they prove that it's like excellent so the next time the emperor tries to bear something down on him who's gonna believe this emperor who just cried wolf once already oh he's gonna say the emperor that cried shy halud oh! <laughs> <laughs> that cried sandworm yeah exactly and you're gonna like basically tarnish his credibility and give you make an opening for yourself yeah. forevermore uh and that is his goal and now this does leave a small opening in the conversation now the baron takes he hops on yeah and he's just why is the emperor so concerned with the fremen and the count catches this oh you want to change the subject do you which i don't think he has much here because again Chom was the subject we were just on. Mm -hmm. Baron's totally happy with that one so i, I don't know uh, that he's really on the same page here but he ends up telling him, like, look, it's the Sadokar's wish. They want to kill. And Vlad thinks he's sort of bringing up the Sadokar again as, like, a, almost like a shield, a reminder of the Emperor's, like, might and force. Mm -hmm. But I think he is sort of telling him the truth there. Like, again, how we just sort of touched on, like, 
Sidecar want to go back. Like right. they, yeah, got, they really want to go. Yeah. They're the one really petitioning for this. And they everyone, tried ice cream for the first time. They're like, we got to go back. Got it. We got to go on, back. On Arrakis? Yeah. Where would they possibly? Gazpacho. Okay. Right. Maybe they went up to Butte's uh, Ice Palace. <laughs> yeah. He's got like, some oh, ice cream. Oh, just Sidecar like dancing around giggling. Ah. They're really playful when you get them in the right <laughs> atmosphere. <laughs> you got to get it just right. So uh, we now go into our next part, and this is where Vlad royally screws up. We we mentioned the prison planet. Yeah. So Vlad's going on um, of just how, like, look, so much killing has occurred here. Uh, it's basically gotten right up into the edges of my population, like even the city population. Mm-hmm. It's made them all very uneasy. Uh, so I think come up with another solution and i have to thank the emperor for inspiration for this great idea right he's gonna make a prison planet out of arrakis just like salusa secundus like why okay oh like i feel like he's showing his hand and i have a theory as to like what the baron's going on about here Ooh. well what do you what do you think okay so you know how the duke figured that uh Figured out that, like, hey, you know, Arrakis is similar to Seleucid Secundus and that, like, a people raised in harsh environments could be deadly f- yeah. army. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think the Baron feigns ignorance on the Fremen so often in, like, the face of so many facts that I just think is ridiculous. I've been sort of playing it off as maybe he just is a dummy. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think there, I mean, we've already learned he is a keen individual that gives a lot of thought to things and doesn't dismiss things unnecessarily if he can help it. So I'm willing to bet that he actually does have a plan for the Fremen, not involving harvesting spice, maybe trying to like rule over them at some point and harness them as his own personal Sardaukar. Well, that's, uh, okay, okay. That's or, not the plan he outlines here. Or you're saying, well, he's you're thinking he's being deceptive to Fenring, right? Right. Because that's not the plan he's going to outline to Fenring. Well, of course not. Right. Well, no, but he still is talking about making Yeah, and that's Sardaukar. why I think this is a mistake. Right, right. I, oh, yeah. I just want to paint like so. This is like this makes it very weird to me that like his cover up plan, though, is him telling him every step of the plan except swapping out Fremen for other population. Right. Because he still says, I want to make Sadokar essentially. Like, yeah. Guys, this is going to be just like your planet. I just got to bring in a bunch of people. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I think he's still ruling out the Sadokar even in this plan. But I like, so you think there's going to be a, a deceptive edge? You can keep an eye on that. This is going to be a, an ongoing plot okay. as we go forward, right? And also, this would explain the earlier comment as to why Piter would be infiltrating the Fremen somehow. Oh, yeah, getting into CS. Yeah. Man, that one, that was a good conversation we had on that one. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish Piter lived long enough to get a fucking Chris I, yeah. <laughs> Would Imagine, because like, that is such a good tease when they tell you, like, who is the one? We know one blue-eyed person who would want that Chris Knight. Yeah, and right? like, that is such a cool point. What would have happened? He would have made a Fremen, like, drink his blood. Oh. Become a Wally Quados of, like, the tribe to get inside so they can't hurt him. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, yeah he totally would have done that. Piter would have been great. Piter dancing around in the sea edge. <laughs> Just being a dick. <laughs> like, you can't hurt me. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> so, yeah, we go through this, and this gets the count, like, cuts right to him. He stares with glittering intensity. What possible connection is there between Arrakis and Salusa Secundus? Ooh, this is a very discerning eye and the a very... Baron, yeah, the Baron felt the alertness in Fenring's <laughs> eyes. Very no, sharp question. Like no connection yet. <laughs> None. 
yet. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, Vlad, <laughs> shut up. I don't, <laughs> Put down the shovel. You're digging too deep. <laughs> Turn around. Just walk out of the cone. Just leave. And then he mentions, like, so he wants an inf- He's expecting an influx of prisoners, right? And I'm like, I'm like where are they coming like, from? Because just, yeah. Well, he also says this is a, to turn a profit. And I don't know if this means like a uh, prison, pro- like a profitable prison pipeline kind of thing, or mm-hmm. is it just like, and then we'll have people to mine the spice and that's how we're making money. I don't know where the people come from. Are they from other, like other houses giving him their criminals or. I think the idea is that he's just going to enslave the whole population. Right, right. If who's right, the, that's what he's like saying. Right. Well, he can't enslave like the house is minor. I don't know what it exactly means, really. It's very ambiguous. Um, we just got to watch what he actually ends up doing. Um, so Hasmir kind of moves the conversation on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll ask her. The, it says the count with a sudden chill in his voice. He tells the emperor one thing. And that is, you will not do this thing without the emperor's permission. And he's pretty much, that's all I'm going to say on the matter. Uh, you got to get a little permission slip. So now he's going to move the conversation on because this guy's got quite the to-do list to go through. Like, this is what he was here for, to go mm. through all these points with the Baron. And he tells him, like, we know Hawa is alive and in your employ. And basically that you lied to a Sadokar commander. Yeah. And th- this is my favorite Baron moment because he doesn't lie. He's like, look. That was going to be a very long conversation. It was just a little white lie. Yeah. I just didn't want to talk to that guy. And that's enough where we're just like, fuck, all right. Um, (laughs) The account's like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. yeah, I've I've met Sadokar. They're pretty dense. Um, And now Hasmir asks if Hawat was the real traitor. Oh, interesting. Because no one knew. He just said he had a traitor, probably. Well, no, no, no. They know they've they've been told it's the soup doctor, but what okay. it's undermining is that the emperor doesn't believe it is the soup doctor, right? Like they don't because they don't think you can break that conditioning. One, the emperor is inclined to not want to believe that. Right, right, right. That is very terrifying for him. You think he doesn't trust his doctor anymore? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I bet. Uh, or I bet at least like Count Fenring is the one watching yeah. that doctor. He's the one drawing blood from now on. <laughs> He's my go to my nurse. Yeah. <laughs> nurse Fenring. I like Nurse Fenring. Yeah. That's the better one. And a little jumper. Um, but yeah. Scrubs, so, you mean? No, no, a jumper. A jumper? I, I wanted to be an adorable nurse. He's a sexy nurse. It's like that, it's, <laughs> we're close enough thinking, to Halloween. I was not like, thinking uh, that at all. I'm thinking like a candy striper. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking of. <laughs> it's 65, Mike. Come on. <laughs> now. Uh, but yeah, I just want to under, but like, there is doubt though on the Imperial side. This is the first time I think we haven't had, um, conviction and uh, like a surety in facts from them. Right. Mm-hmm. Fenring's been on the ball every point. This is one thing where the Baron knows more than they do. And the Baron has successfully kept this lie to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he's like, no, no, you know, of course it was the doctor. Come on. Uh, and then the Baron was, he's just so uncomfortable without a mentat. That's why I needed through fear. It's like my, my little comfort blanket. Right. You know? <laughs> Thunderstorms make me so scared. He's used to cuddle with fighter. Yeah. <laughs> like he's gone. <laughs> He's got those Thufir to cuddle up to him now. And Hasmir, he's got another question of like, well, how'd you get Thufir to shift his allegiance? And we don't really get an answer except for like, his duke is dead. And that's all the Baron really is willing to tell him. 
And uh, Hasmir's just like, all right, all right. Well, withdraw the poison, kill him. I'm just like, yeah. get rid of Hawat. It's like, oh, great. Oh, so you do have a button. Cool. Get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, but no. And he knows too many things no living man should know. And the parents yeah. are like, you know, the emperor doesn't fear exposure. And we get Fendering cutting back. This is where, like, Ooh. nice edge, right? Don't play games with me, Baron. And then the barons were like, "I'll, you know, when I see it above the imperial or above an imperial seal, yeah. I'll obey, but I'll not submit to your whim." Count saying, "Oh, get whim! <laughs> oh God, whim. Yeah. I, I was very convinced he was just going to kill the baron somehow, or uh, threaten to kill Fade." Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's kind of what we'll get to when yeah, we get yeah, to the yeah. arena. That's sort of the smack back, not even killing him, but like removing the air is even more yeah. of a a big slap to the face, right? So the Baron, he's he's pulling some weight here, and he knows the Emperor has obligations to him as well. And uh, we learned the Duke was uh, considered uh, troublesome to the Emperor firsthand, right? I think before we had Thufir kind of color this in of how the Emperor is jealous or mm. worried of his lands or had coalition. But now, right from the right-hand man to the Emperor, we know that like this Duke was considered troublesome. And, uh, Mike, we're getting uh, really close to the reason why and the kind of reveal, which I did told you way back of that, the Atreides had trained troopers mm-hmm. the level of Sadokar. He had a small cadre. And I think the man who ends up in the arena... Is one of them? I think so. You think so? Based on how well he fights versus Fade, who is one of the better fighters in the Imperium Fair. too, right? Just, uh, we'll get down to that though. Interesting. So, we get this kind of quote then of, uh, where else would the Emperor have found a house to provide this... Uh, these disguising uniforms to hide his hand in the matter. It's the like, yeah, thing. no, he keeps asking himself that same question. <laughs> yes, Baron, but with a slightly different emphasis is how he ends it. I like that comeback. I'm just like, yeah, we're all asking that same question, buddy. Where, oh, like, where? <laughs> and shouldn't you be worried should we ever find one? Right. Um, so now, Vlad, he's going to just make this subject very crystal clear because he decided he's not going to like pussyfoot around this one. And it's that the emperor, he can't move in total secrecy against him. And that's sort of like, it's almost boasting in how he phrases that, right? Yeah. Of like, I don't know if it's literally him telling him the emperor can't, or he's sort of like defying him too. Uh, but uh, a great retort. So it's like, let's hope it doesn't become necessary. Mm-hmm. Just saying like, we, we can. Yeah, we both. Like, we can. If we're not already. And uh, Vlad pleads that like, look, I can't be any threat to the emperor. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the Baron, like, for all of his talk, he's just so bad when it comes to like stressful conversations. Well, it's because he's really bad being like the supplicative one. Not <laughs> a great like, public speaker. Yeah, yeah. Of him bending the knee. It's like it never comes up. We know you're lying. You you don't hold this well. Mm-hmm. And uh Vlad, he's for some reason he sees like this is like the best case scenario. Like, yes, unleash your Sadogar on me. Attack me, and the lands red will join again. Oh, and I'm like, God. dude. Don't you think the Sadokar would just annihilate you and cut a deal with Fade? Yeah. Like, would that not be done in a day's that time? And we're just like, oh, the Baron had a heart attack. What a weird night it was on Harkin. What a crazy accident. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was so inconvenient. Accidental heart attack. Yep. And, uh, but, but for some reason, Vlad gets this like thought churning in his mind of like, oh, it could happen. It could happen in my lifetime. I could sit on the throne. 
That's a first. Yeah. He's getting greedy. He, he, yeah, because we know the plan. He wanted to hearken in on the throne. He given up on the, his generation. Yeah, not, so he was even like, maybe not even in my lifetime. Maybe yeah. not even fade, but like, I'll hearken in someday. And so now it's just like, oh my God, this this could this could be it. Right. So then we moved up to, ooh, it will be fade. Fade will sit on that throne. And now it's, <gasps> what if it was my big ass? <laughs> what if I can squeeze we're, in? We're going to need a bigger throne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to like cut it. It's Isn't like, it made of quartz? I was thinking it's like, a, you know, a table at Thanksgiving, the ones that fold up, open. You put the little <laughs> thing in the middle. The we, we cut the throne in half. You put a little leaf in there. <laughs> yeah, we got a leaf we set it. A haggled quartz leaf. <laughs> throne leaves. I don't think that's how they work. It is when Baron or Emperor Harkonnen is here. <laughs> now we can afford leaves now. We can't. We got money, guys. <laughs> so the Baron, he even dares like the Emperor to cha- to charge him with treason. In which the the Count, he does his part and says, the Emperor need dare nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, we will if we have to. Again, I think we have this document already drafted up. And we're just like, do we do it? Let's hold off another day. <laughs> and uh, the Baron, this is the very whirls away and his suspensors to hide its expression. So if he turns away, he's only either facing the pillar now because we were facing the wall right. or, or he's turned back towards <laughs> the people with his big grin on his face. <laughs> Kind of hovering. I, I think a little side to side jostling. <laughs> no. Either way, again, kind of awkward from the third party observers in the room of like, what is going on over there? You know, no one's going to approach them though. No, no, yeah. you take a wide berth yeah. around that. Yeah, when the cone is occupied. And um, we get the count cutting in and uh, kind of damper on his parade here. It's the emperor's sincere hope he'll never have to charge you with treason. Oh, thank you, count. The baron found it difficulty, uh, difficult to keep the irony out of his voice and permit only the expression of hurt, but he managed. I've been the most loyal subject. These words hurt me beyond my capacity to express. The Count chimes back. But here, yeah, I just love this. Is he just saying something to himself almost? Just like, I, I bet you are, you fucking son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he just tore him down. St- yeah. Stilgar style. Yeah. Of just like, yeah, biting words. Yeah, yeah. Just like a little, uh, you know, I used to have a, um, actually, you know what? I think I figured out what it is. My first boss, uh, this is great because I was like 15, 16 at the time. We're going to the grocery store doing bagging and stuff. And uh, the manager would walk by. She would always walk by being on like, I love my job. I love my job. I love my oh, job. Oh, no. <laughs> Dee Dee hated her job. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. She was a deal with little shitheads. She was a great woman. She was really awesome. Had a strong worth ethic. I think that's what Cal's doing. <laughs> Everywhere he's walking around, he's just like, I love my job i love my job <laughs> like i hate this shit why am i here i gotta go to the backwater places in the imperium oh my gosh it's funny so do you think anyone realizes that he is saying secret words or secret language no like i mean this? like i kind of told you i think it's like layered in frequency at that kind of Benny Gesserit level right, right, right yeah right. uh then we're just doing ultimate control uh, otherwise, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, you can totally make some open interpretation of it if you got a better idea. No, no, no. I mean, uh, we we got some wiggle room from Frank here. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't think anyone does know. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we kind of close up, and it's time for the arena because a little bell starts to toll that gives us a 20 minute warning, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm like, that's a strange timing warning, but okay. 
so we head out and uh, the court or rather the count mentions the customs of like, oh, the Baron, the, the houses mine are waiting for you to lead them. And the Baron's like, God damn it. You mean two things when you say that. Because <laughs> again, that's referring. And he's yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's like the the count knew exactly what he was thinking. Yeah, like you back son there. of a bitch. <laughs> you knew I wanted to lead the lands right against you. I was just like, okay. And the fact that the count said that in front of all of them intentionally it's like the bear. He hates it so much. Uh, so we exit the hall and um, it has sort of like uh, two tokens from the Baron's recent victory. Yeah. God, he calls them talismans too, which I think is really weird. Ooh, I like that word. It's kind of a lot of weight to that word. A lot of like uh, enigmatic or not enigmatic, but sort of like mystical meaning. Superstition like weighted to him. Almost yeah. even. And it's our old El Muerte, the bull. Yeah. All mounted up across from the picture of the old bravura laden duke. Oh, and uh, it's not quite a cross. Oh, is it not? Well, they they are, but it's a triangular arena. We're not in the arena. Oh, no, we are at Mike. We got to go get it. We got like a 20 minute car ride. We got to go take. Oh, Uh, we're still in this great hall that's decorated because it's in the keep. The arena is separate from the keep. Okay, the arena gotcha. is going to be like a, it's going to be like Romans or it's like a public space, right? Okay. So we're in the very secure Baron house. Oh, today. so he's key. Okay, weird. So yep. he's, okay. So we go out though. So we pass these two talismans and weren't they in the Duke? Um, they might not be, but you are right. Oh, uh, they're flanking the exit. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, like, they might not be facing each other, they're but not. they're on either side of the door. So uh, that's why I was like, you were totally dead on, but then you took me for a ride at the end. Yeah. Uh, and this gives the Baron a sense of foreboding. And again, chapter quote, being like, you know, the future terrors coming for you. Mm. Uh, and then he has this cool thought of like, I wonder how these made Leto feel back in the day. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, he's like, right away, he's like, I don't like this. <laughs> it's like, like, this is supposed to be a trophy, but like, I actually don't really like it. I feel like you pulled one over on me. This is really not what I thought it would be. I'm not, not getting the feelings I was hoping here. I spent all this money. I'm going to take yeah. something back. <laughs> uh, so I, I like that. It just like, it gives me a little satisfaction <laughs> just that they unnerve him so yeah. much. I'd be like, good. You deserve that. Uh, Mate uh, spent so much Legend time. Legend of the Phoenix. Oh, how so? It's, I mean, like, he's still being unnerved by the Duke, the Duke. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. I hope that's what you're going for. Yeah, yeah, the Duke is still, like, alive in a way. Ooh, he, the ghost, even. Uh, but I was just going to point out that uh, Mates put so much time putting those up, and they just take them down. <laughs> like, what the hell, guys? <laughs> what the hell? And um, we're shown them before uh, we head to an arena, to a Corita, so to speak, too. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some symbolism there um, that I didn't want to miss. Uh, now the count says, "Quote: uh, Mankind is only one science, the science of discontent." We get that on the way out too, uh, and he does it sort of in his humming voice there. Uh, and at that, our doors open, and uh, voices collide with motors. And I hope that I don't know if that stood out to you. Oh yeah, of just like the motors running, like there yeah. shouldn't be motors. Like, that's the whole point of like, hell, oh, I'm saying the Baron is so cheap. Oh, you could buy suspensors. They run oh, wow. better. They go forever. You don't need fuel. They don't make noise. Right, they don't right, make right. pollution. Like they're better in every means. But like on Harco, they're nothing but servo motors. They're all these old mechanical pieces running. Like I think it just builds up this motif of industrialized and like gritty and dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a brute force. There's no sophistication to how they operate. Okay, yeah. 
So I just thought that was interesting. And so there's a line of ground cars that are all set up. And so I think that's why they make the point of telling you they're ground cars. Um, and we're going to get in these. And all these cars are like, um, I think they're all shiny and new. And basically we have pennants waving in the breeze that kind of go up. And these are all like... Um, Fancy pen- orange pennants. Oh, did they say they're orange? Yep. Oh, nice. And uh, so a pennant is going to be a flag that either comes down to a single point or a fork. Oh, I know. So I would like to think these ones are forked. I don't know if you have a preference. Uh, I was thinking, I imagine single point. A single point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What do you think the uh, the Atreides Jihad flags are? Single point as well or... I think I think they're little uh, little swirly like a shy halud. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. a little shy halud tail. Okay, yeah. um, love it. Now we get in these cars and uh, the count. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. The count on the way. He's gonna make one more joke. He makes a very lawyer joke. Um, it's like a mm-hmm. threat joke. <laughs> and again, intentionally in front of houses minor because he says like. Um, Oh, it's, this is filled with the uh, humming language here. Uh, and filled only with a sense of anticipation, yes. Always in the process verbal, one must consider the office of origin. And I'm like, uh, I don't get the joke there personally, but I know those are both uh, legal terms. Yeah, like, yeah, process yeah. verbal is your amount, and they even say it, uh, but it is like, it's used in our legal system too, mm-hmm. uh, of like, you know, you making your charge intent based on fact, and the office of origin is going to be the point um, where the, oh, what's the word I want? Plaintiff, like, uh, submits it into. Okay. Uh, like, just legal terms. I'm sure that must be a joke to a lawyer somewhere, <laughs> but it's very dry humor. That probably is right up Frank's alley. Cause the dude was a bit of a square. So we're going to get in the cars and we go the rest of the way. And Vlad is just grumpy. And he is just like glancing at the count out of the corner mm. of his eyes for the entire ride there. And in his mind, he calls him like the emperor's errand boy. And he sort of just keeps dwelling on this joke. Like, why did the errand boy say that in front of the house miner? Mm-hmm. Why did he use those words? Uh, and then we get this impression. I think this is, this is just power play by Fenring saying, yeah, just oh, like, it is. Yeah. It's like, I am willing to like, sort of like put some weight behind my words. Are you? I mean, the Baron does have a lot of weight to put behind his words. Technically. <laughs> Hello. Not with, the sus- not with the suspensers. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think you're right. And that he is going to go push him as far as a kid, almost like he wants, like take, make a move. I know you're never going to, but right. like, I'm going to put you like, I want you to take a swing at me so that we can just end all this now. Or like, uh, cause the Hazmir is representing the emperor. He is untouchable. Mm-hmm. And I think he enjoys that space in the Imperium. Uh, but the Baron gives us his impression that Hazmir never does a thing without thought, never chooses one word that has, you know, to be caught up into one meaning or one definition. Mm-hmm. Like, always leaves it open so we can get uh, the full worth oh, out God, of it. God, he hates this guy so much. He really does. <laughs> because he's, he's so much, he's better than him. Yeah. He hates anyone that's better than him in any manner. Uh, and I like that Hazmir doesn't feel like he doesn't want or need anything from the Baron. He doesn't want the Baron's respect, doesn't mm-hmm. want his praise, you know. He's fine. Uh, and I think that grinds at the Baron. So we go on this car ride. We finally arrive at the arena, Mike. We're going to go up to our golden box Ooh. seats. Yeah, it's fancy up here. And you are right. It is a triangle arena. So that's kind of interesting. I, I'm it's not like familiar a, with that. It's like a twisted Karita. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
bent. I don't know. Yeah, we added some corners. I think a normal crane is just a circle. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if a triangle has been used in other cultures or anything, or like what the point of it is. But not a triangle in other cultures. Oh, yeah, as far as arenas go. Yeah, yeah. yeah like for okay. like a, for like a duel. Because I'm gonna say like I think there's a lot of cultures that use triangles. <laughs> yeah. I think plenty of people stumbled onto the triangle. <laughs> the Egyptians huh? left. Some- <laughs> 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 But specifically to fight in. I'm like, how many people were like, this is the shape we should do combat in? <laughs> it seems weird. Um, we have uh, Hasmir. He chooses to drop a bomb at this point. That's what we just referred to earlier. I'm sorry. So when we're in this golden mm. box and he says, my dear Baron, you do know, don't you, that the emperor has not given official sanction of your choice of air. The Baron, it literally says he's shocked into a personal cone of silence. I'm like, that's how like, palpable it is. Oh. Like, you just imagine like his ears kind of blank out for mm. a second. He doesn't even hear. And then with that, like Margot rejoins us now and she kind of comes up into the box. And Hasmir is basically like, we're going to evaluate Fade's performance here. You know, what better place than in the arena? And the Baron says, like, wait, wait, wait. I was promised a free choice of air. Mm-hmm. That was now, part of the deal. That was. Now, I think that is part of the deal, Like, I think at this point, where we did the deep dive into Count Hasmir Fendring's backstory, mm-hmm. I told you he was bought in and indoctrinated into the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. I think this is the Bene Gesserit plan. And he is just using the overtures of coming here under the Imperium to be like, also, by the, the way, Emperor, but really the but, Emperor has no idea about this second part. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I think because they need an excuse to get Fade basically under Margot's uh, seduction. Right, right. And I think they're using the Imperium as a mask for that. Um, okay. And it, like, Hasmir knows the Emperor, the Emperor is not going to like double check. You're not going to go back. Like, this is as good as coming from the Emperor. Even though he did push back that one thing of, like, you better bring an imperial seal if you want me to, like, comply. Like, the Baron knows who he's talking to. And uh, the Baron um, kind of continues on. And uh, Margaret just smiles at him. And then she looks down at Fade in the arena. And following her eyes, we sort of change perspective. And we jump into, like, Fade's mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she looks down and sees that there's a black glove with a long knife and a white glove with a short knife. Purity and poison. And what a what a custom that is, she says, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go down to Fade, and there are huge tears for Fade coming from all the family boxes in the arena. Yeah. Everyone's been brought in, even the off-world cousins. The cousines, the cousines are here. Do you know what those are? Um, They're like cousins, but like... Uh, they're just, ba- second cousins, yeah, third cousins. Yeah, basically just like extended family. Exactly. You just keep going. Um. So the thought crosses his mind that they uh, these people would all cheer as much for his victory as for his most defeat. Like, they don't really care. They're just here to watch a blood sport, essentially. Um, but fortunately, there is no real danger here. This is all going to be play acting as we go forward. So Fade turns, he salutes the three corners, he sheaths the short blade, and then he's holding out that uh, long one. And he activates his full body shield. He feels it sort of like tighten on his uh, forehead skin. Mm. And that's when he knows it's active. So this is him taking all these precautions, right? Right, right, right. And he uh, draws open, uh, he draws out this opening, I'm sorry, like a showman. And this is where the you know, word comes to my mind is bravura. I think Fade's got it. Fade's able to like rile this whole place up. I feel like he, he definitely channels that classic Atreides kind of... Uh... Rivera there. Yeah, that vibe. Yeah. Like it's in it. He's got a little bit of, somehow, somehow he's got a little duke in him. 
And so he sort oh, of Legend of the Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's coming. It's coming. He like goes and he's sort of like checking the equipment with measured stairs, like at all the handlers around, making like it's very serious. Like, all right, all right. And he tells him there are like guys laying around. Uh, these are manacles. And apparently the Harkonnen ones, it implies that they're like spiked. I assume on the inside of the manacle. Uh, and these Probably. manacles are on like long chains. And then there are also barbs and hooks sort of like set. So are you familiar with the barbs from like a bullfight? Um, yeah. What are they called? Like picas or something like that? Um, banderillas. Banderillas. Little flags. Uh, cause they are used in actual bullfighting and they're basically like, if you ever see a picture of a bullfighting, you'll see the bull later on in the fight has like these colorful, um, sticks. Okay. I was of thinking it. of like the, uh, like the stick or the lance that the, the first guy like pokes the bull with. That, that is it. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, that's the, they're, they're just, when they're just, they weaken it. Well, no, when they're like testing the bull strength and seeing which side it favors. Okay. So it's, it's like one guy does one job. Another one does a different one. Yeah, so these barbs, uh, they're used throughout the fight. They're usually very colorful. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll have, like, tassels kind of hanging off. They're probably, like, two feet long or so. And you stab it into the bull. That is what the matador is doing in the first. Uh, uh, a bullfight is basically in, like, three parts. We bring the bull out, and we're weakening it. And basically, each of these barbs, you stab it in, and it catches into the tendons, and it bleeds the bull out slowly and just weakens it. Um, so we have those here for the slaves that are going to be entering mm -hmm. the arena coming in. Um, and like I said, they're called banderillas. Um, and they, oh, there's one thing for bullfighting. Uh, oh. looking to the side the, you can get black banderillas. Uh, right. And okay. those are ordered used by like, uh, it said in the, this is just for Wikipedia, but like a presidente. Um, uh, but I assume whoever is like, uh, reigning over like what's going on, but it's being Spain, Spanish bullfighting. Oh, um, and if the bull is non-combative weak or is otherwise like, um, just sort of like a bad fighter in the ring, you could be like, order the black ones. And it is basically a demerit for the breeder to reflect badly on the guy who brought the bull oh. in and be like, shitty job on your part. This is a bad bull. We just put black banderillas into oh. it uh, and then fight it. Uh, and small bit, do you know why they use a red cape? Uh, no, why? Among other things, is just to cover the blood stains. Oh, because as you're like constantly draping the bull, it just gets covered in blood. Oh, uh, so if it was yeah. any color, it would just be like streaked and disgusting. Right, so right. Keeps it fresh and clean. And I did uh, not realize that. That's really interesting. We got to keep it fun, Mike. <laughs> got to keep, keep things flashy. Yeah. Uh, now, oh man. Fade, uh, he signals, uh, we have, we have a, we have a brass band here because uh, he signals <laughs> his band, which I like. And, uh, they just play as he marches up to the box and, uh, the Baron throws him this ceremonial key. He catches it. And at that, the music stops and there's an abrupt silence. He stepped back two paces. So wait, is this the ceremonial key? Like, is this a part of like the, uh, like Harco tradition in this arena? Ooh. Ceremonial or is this literally the ceremonial key taken from the Duke's estate? No, no, he wouldn't have that. Because uh, again, that was transferred. The encyclopedia tells us it was transferred to Fendering. Oh, shit. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, no the yeah. ceremonial key. I got, I got to what Cal Castle Caledon. I think Frank would have been specific if uh, that was the case. Okay. I bet it's the key to Harco if I were to guess. Oh, that makes sense too. But like, I like that. I mm. forgot about that. that yeah, right, yeah, right. he did. Because we had the whole joke of that. Right. Like, nobody gets the analysis. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'll show you the Empress you think, Or what you think is what Asmir's yeah. here for? Yeah. <clears throat> he just takes the key. <laughs> that 
That's why you get the heart count. I've been in a hotel for months. <laughs> I knew I'd come across this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the point of the key, or if there is a, again a culture that like had any um, tradition like that. Hmm. That seems weird to me. Um, and props to Fade for catching that. Yeah. That seems like a tiny thing. I assume it's like golden snitch size. No, I don't. I don't think it's like an actual like house key. I think it's like a big ass like key I to the city thing kind key. of thing. I don't think. I it's think a- it, it's ceremonial. I know, but it's the Baron. <laughs> like, what do you do with the key then during the fight? It's ceremonial. You put it in like a box or some shit. <laughs> Why do we throw it down into the arena? <laughs> what? I think Fade keeps it on. Uh, it's I probably don't... not super valuable. It's just like part of the tradition. <laughs> I don't know why you're so like against it. I'm not against. It. I'm just saying. I I'm just telling you what I pictured was just like achy. <laughs> Again, it's like, just it's Bane, so. Here's your new car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It's just it's a weird, ambiguous thing that I just I have no reference point for. I don't know what it could be, but I like that we're on like opposite ends. <laughs> like it's either two feet long or it's like fits in your pocket. <laughs> he just like knocks fade out. I think him. we can all agree we want to believe that it's Count Hasmir's like key to castle caladan yeah i want to believe in yeah city. i think yeah, that's I just w- what i'm I gonna want, go like, with big key yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay <laughs> symbolic ceremonial <laughs> key so with the silence he raises the ski and he shouts i dedicate this truth to and he pauses because all harkonnens are dicks and uh, <laughs> he's just like he's just drawing this out for the baron right yeah like, i want well, to make to- him sweat a little yep. bit think he wants to make him think that he's gonna like dedicate it to uh margo yep yep <laughs> Just barely, and then the last minute, ah, to my uncle and patron, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. <laughs> Everyone cheers, the music starts up again, and uh, Fate goes back. He ushers his men through their Prudor. Prudor, we're mm-hmm. familiar with that. Mm-hmm. You remember how that works? Mm-mm. You have a, like, a belt or some sort of coded device that uh, aligned to the code of the door. So you can pass through it. Otherwise, it's five shields in a row. Oh, right, right, right. So it's, like, impossible to get through. Uh, so we have that. Later in the chapter, we're going to refer to Prue barriers. Those are actually like above the walls and are separate from those doors that are okay. keeping the people out. Oh, okay. Because again, we're on Harko. We are paranoid. Right. We wouldn't let anything happen to Fade. So no one can like throw anything or shoot anything into this arena. Like there's a barrier between them. So there's going to be like a shimmering Which field. Which feels so weird con- like considering what they talk about at the end of the chapter. It's just like, oh, he could walk in the streets of Harko and it wouldn't matter. Oh, well, think of how it's up to this point, though. The Baron is expecting this to be a normal fight where it's a completely oh, rigged true. endeavor that they wouldn't have gotten riled up. They that's only got true. riled up because it was real right, and they, right. they, they could tell, right? Uh, that changed everything. So with uh, him dedicating it to the Baron, the music starts up. Like I said, he ushers the people through the door, and um, he can call on his distractors if he needs. And this is just like a bullfight. You have these guys on the sides. They will go in and put like some barbs in for you if you need, or if like the bull's too aggressive, like get it to go over here. If you were wounded or if you tripped or something, right? you get those guys out there so you don't die. Mm-hmm. But Fade's never needed them before. Again, it's always rigged. It's a show. Right, right, right. Uh, but he's sort of like, Today, I'm kind of happy they're just, just in case, just in case. They're there. I know the word. I can get them out here. And silence settles over the arena. Fade faces the large red door across from him. And uh, this is when we learn that this is all like Thufir's plan, right? Because you have uh, two blades, Mm -hmm. one black glove, one white glove, one black blade, one with white blade. Yeah. And traditionally, you have the poison on the white blade. Uh, Well, that's not Thufir's plan. I know, but I'm saying traditionally. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. 
So traditionally, you have it on the white one. His plan is that it's going to be on the black blade, that he's going to do something like completely off, uh, offbeat, off tradition, and sort of almost send a message as well. Well, again, so like, I would just want to, before we get to that's Fade's twist on the plan. Because uh, Fade, when he tells us that, that is his uh, reflecting back of like, and this is the one thing Hawat doesn't know. So just the fact, the, the point you're pointing out is like, that's the one thing Hawat is outside of right. Hawat's plan entirely. Um, but I just want to outline how what's planned before we get there of that. Um, the slave is not going to be drugged, which you, you alluded to in the beginning, right? With the color that's going to be right, changed. Right, right. And he has a word implanted in his mind. So if fade says scum, all of his muscles will seize up and he'll have this opening available to him. Um, I feel like that's, uh, that's coming from Thufir, and Thufir's like, man, she got me with that one trick. I'm going to, I'm going to make it better. <laughs> I'm going to do it better. Now that I know yeah. this is a thing. <laughs> yeah, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, it's an, he's incorporating. Very Benedict. reminiscent. It's a whole new Stufia. Yeah, now. he's like, man, if I could have known this when I was with the Atreides. <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, we can touch on the point where, like I said, yeah, the one thing that Hawat isn't gonna know because when Fate sees the soldier, he gets mm-hmm. a little like, ooh, this isn't totally right. At least I have this, where he's got the second poison knife. So what's up? We're assuming this plan is Stufia's because Fate has told us that. Yes. So like, hey, we won't drug the guy. It'll be a grand show of things. You're not getting in trouble. I'm not getting in trouble. Sable Master will die and be replaced by, you know, one of your other guys or one of someone else beneath us. Mm-hmm. And then like, it'll be that much more grand. Cause like, hey, he probably did this all the time with the old Dukes. I know how creators work. I know how to make this happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, well, wait, what would he have done before? Because there was always bowls before. I think, no, ju- not not that they would, like, draw... Uh, just, like, how to build up a show. Just how to build up a show. Yeah, like, yeah, how yeah. to, like, win... I think with the advice How to win hearts. Them. How to win people. Yeah, people. There you go. Yeah. How to win, like, like, hearts I know and how, minds. Yeah, it's so, like, I know how you can do this. It's like, you have a real, like, fight. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think he was trying to kill Fade here? Yes. Yeah. Well... I'll, I'll color it up like, huh? I think he was totally okay with the like, like oh, hey. Harkonnen died. What <laughs> was me? If Thufir, like, if Thufir's drafting this plan out, it's just like two columns win and win. Because, uh, like, <laughs> either outcome's great for him. Uh, he can deal with the Baron. If he can get rid of the Na Baron, that, like, that's great. If yeah. he can get rid of the Baron, that's great. Putting Fade under his thumb is good. Like, it's all good for Hawat. And for whatever reason, he wants to put someone in as the slave master. That's really intriguing, too. Like, I think Hawat's got... Oh, you think he wants to put someone in... Uh... He specifically does. We'll, we'll touch right onto that. Let me uh, continue on where, okay, where sure, we are sure, with sure. Fade, right? So these uh, motor... Again, servo motors are what lift open that red door. Mm-hmm. How cheap the fucking Baron is. Should be suspensors. And um, Fade has been taught to read a lot from the opening of a duel when you first see your enemy. Hmm. This is like one of the only areas where he is an expert in some manner. Remember when we saw Fade in chapter two, like he didn't make a strong impression, did he? No, not he was at all. Very, yeah, he didn't want to be there. He didn't understand why he was there. He knows why he's here and he hmm. has purpose here, which is different than when we last saw him. Um, and he tells us most of the time, the person would come up and they're hyped up on the Salaka drug, right? They are just like riled up on speed Mm -hmm. and just coming at you. Um, But the opponent that does emerge is painted orange. And this is to resemble the the drug's effect. So the drug makes you orange. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that Hmm. weird? So it's it's a deficiency in your melatonin. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Or or maybe. uh, No. uh, So I knew this this French. uh, She was born orange. 
Uh, and this oh. happens with babies. You straight up look like an Oompa Loompa. And uh, her mom had to put her in a little bassinet out in the sun for a couple, like, a little bit every day. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, and it's something that I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was like a melatonin deficiency that you correct for. in your. But it happens to babies every now and then when they're born. Um, there's also um, certain pigments where if you eat too many foods with that pigment, it will start to appear in your skin. So, like, the opposite of that where it's too much of a different pigment. Mm-hmm. Um, will also give you a similar effect. Yeah, and that's got to be what this is in mm. some sort of like hyper uh, form because it's like yeah. you take a hit and you turn orange. What kind of cause, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like what isn't grown on a cause? What is wrong with this planet? <laughs> and why do we still have plants here? Didn't we get rid of them all? You know, I bet they just, they just grow fast too. Like this, oh, Probably, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah of course, it's of course cause. they do. <laughs> it's a cause. Everything's planet, a fungus. Man. Um, and then this guy, he has something I don't think we've seen before, which is a one-sided shield. Mm, so it's, 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 oh, it's a belt with two arrows on it, and his is to the left, so it's only his left side that's that is shielded. weird. Why would you even have that? Well, I know why the Harkonnens would make it. Well, yeah. 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 It's so weird, though. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, why give him that courtesy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it seems like a shield fight would be just as cool, but yeah. I wonder if it was, like, maybe, like, the first shields made or something. Maybe there's some, like, antique method to it, but I'd I like the uh, the sportsmanship of it. I can imagine, like, fencing would have something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I just think, I almost think it would be a cooler world if they were all half shields. Yeah, I, no, I like I like the vulnerability. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, so, and this guy, he's holding his knife, though, like a trained fighter. Mm. That's unusual, right? Now, Fate plays his part when his handler is like, I don't like the look of this one. He's like, no, no, he's got the color of a drug man. He's fine. <laughs> uh, and the guy steps down and Fate, you know, comes into the ring and then he sees a mark on the man's arm. And we get to that part I read you last week. But yeah, so literally no one knows about this plan. This is like Fade's little surprise. Ooh, I, well, this is Hawat's little surprise, even. Well, yeah. But, Hawat okay. didn't know it was going to be an Atreides trooper. But yeah, no, Fade, but Fade, is, Fade is, is the only one who knows it's not going to be a slave. Right. It's like a cascading of just like who knows more than the last person. Plans within plans. Exactly. But then Fade, Fade's the only one who knows he has two poison eyes. Yeah. Like everyone has one unique bit of information in this game of Clue they're about to play. Uh, and we're going to see who comes out on top. And uh, I just love that bit. So the guy is cut into his arm so he could draw in blood the hawk of the Atreides on his leg. And he just points down to that it. And it's just like crazy. Yeah. That's why I think this guy is like Sautokar level. That's pretty intense yeah. to go into the fight. Like, I'll take a wound, like, just to make this one impression. And you know what he's doing? He's putting fear in that guy's mind. Mm-hmm. Like, he's doing psycho uh, warfare right there. Now... You get any impression? So I read this obviously last week for you, uh, because it's so enigmatic of you wanting to build up who you thought it was. Did you have any ideas of who this person was, even when you got here in the chapter, like before you finished it? No, I had no idea. Do you have any name you want to give this man? Because we are not going to be calling him slave for the rest of the chapter. No, that's fair. I can't abide that. He is a goddamn Atreides trooper Let's from Arrakis. Say... No, we've made this mistake. Oh, before. you know what? Space name. Oh no! Just so we don't get a second Kyle. Let's just, <laughs> like, what was the what was the pseudo name we gave to the propaganda master, Louis? I don't know. That was the wine we were cursing. Mike, was that that episode? Oh no! I think it might have been. You want to go, Louis? Yeah, let's call him Louis. Like let's go back to Louis. 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 So fade will be Louis. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, and I even entertained for a moment too of like, you think this guy was one of Thufir's men in that group? No, I don't think so. I don't either, because I think the Sato car killed every single yeah. fucking one of them. But I just the idea <laughs> came to me for a second. Uh I wanna at least claim that he was trained as like the top Atreides trooper. And I think Hawat regardless probably, he probably worked directly under Duncan. It could be Duncan Gurney or uh oh I guess no, Gurney, I think Gurney, Gurney had his men. Oh yeah, and some of them made it out, but like of the hundreds that like he's you know, they've they're all they're more they trained than who they ended up with on their right, last right. mission. But yeah, you're right. Uh Gurney's made it to the smuggler. And those were the men I was thinking of in that band. So yeah, maybe like whatever. No uh, no Duncan didn't have anybody. We were with the Fremen at that point. We he, he we, we rolled down with uh right. with uh Liette and the Fre- we didn't have any troopers with us. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. But I agree. He's somewhere. He's up yeah. there. So, Fade now sees the potential for betrayal. Because, yeah, Fade, you fool. You don't do Hawat's plan. <laughs> what the fuck are you thinking? And uh, Hawat, he's got one of the Atreides troopers selected for this fight. Only the Slave Master is set to be the Fall Guy. And that's where, uh, what do we have, Fade being like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I can't get Hawat pulled into this. I'm sort of locked in. But, like, it's also a lesson for him. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that he does catch it. So, and we know. I think Fade is sharper than I gave him credit for initially because in the first chapter we talked to him, he was kind of like the dumbest guy in the room. You know what? I would look back and I would say he was disinterested. I mean, for sure. Right. He no, was but only I think, interested when I it think, came to the starter car. I think fighting is just sort of what he. Right, right. And I'm just saying, reflect back on your teenage years. I think your interest and your intellect go hand in hand in some ways. Like when you're more interested in it, you're applying yeah, yourself like, 100%. There's more engagement. You're right. When you don't care, you're just like, whatever, I'll just text. Like, yeah, can to, I go? Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> you right. Because you, t- you tend to think more critically about things you're engaged with. Yeah, yeah. You're using like every facet of your mind. Um, so I, I think that's what I came up with. Because again, he is 17, and this is a kid who's not mentat, not quizzed. This is just a 17-year-old who has murdered 99 people. That's unique. But for the most part, a normal kid uh, in a weird pedophile family. I'm losing normal as I keep describing him. So the aide wants to set two barbs in that man's knife arm to start this fight. I'm just like, it's like please. <laughs> Fade tells him off. Like we can't. I mean, have that's that. his job, probably. <laughs> For the most part. Yeah. Um, well, I think his job is to make sure Fade leaves alive. I'm just like, <laughs> he knows if Fade gets hurt, they probably all get executed. Right, right, like, right. No point for you guys. So hefting the barb, Fade lets us know that these are usually poisoned, but as per Hawat's plan today, they are not. And he's sort of just like, fuck, (laughs) I could probably use poison barbs. And then I love this thought he has of like, the chief handler is probably going to die for this one. (laughs) I'm just like, because there's going to be an investigation after this shit goes down. And they're going to be like, why weren't these barbs poisoned? He doesn't really care about that though. No, no. It's just sort of like a incidental, like, well, we got to replace another guy. (laughs) Might as well put one of my people in there. People are just like expendable here. Oh, entirely. It's crazy. Yeah. That's why we don't give them names. We give them titles. Oh. So now we get this um, thought of uh, what Hawa had told um, Fade. And this is what we just talked about. So killed the gla- uh, your gladiator man to man. And in spite of treachery, the slave master will be executed and your man will step into his spot. And this is where I get the inflection because of how much control Hawa is exercising. When he says your man to Fade. Like you think he means one of his men. I think it means someone I'm going, cause I'm one of your men too, Fade, right? Like I'm <laughs> part of this plan. Like, yeah. 
Hawa, I think, is going to get some oversight, or there's some reason he wants Fade to have control of the Harkonnen slave master. Hmm. Something bigger is up there than like what we're right. being told, right? Now, Fade knows, um, uh, knows experts in the stands will start noticing something is off. He's uh, reassured that even Hawat did not know he would have poison on both blades, though. He's like, okay. This, this guy, is his own little twist. Mm-hmm. And this guy is way more alert than I was ready for. And he knows everyone, the experts in the audience are going to start seeing, like, again, how he's holding his knife different, how he's standing mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, this trooper isn't how he should be. And then the real, like, uh, the game starts. And the trooper shows his face. And he says, hi, Harkonnen. And uh, what were we going to call him? I'm sorry. Louis. Louis. Uh, so Louis calls out, are you prepared to die? And then deathly stillness gripped the arena. Slaves did not issue the challenge. And like Louis knew that probably coming in. Like he must understand some Imperium uh, etiquette and stuff. I don't know if he did. I think he's just angry. Well, that's why I think that's why he calls it out. Though. I think it's like a, a rubbing it in your face. Like I know you're supposed to do this. And like I'm stepping forward. But I, I actually don't think he knows that. You, you just think, but oh. I think Fade like definitely didn't start anything, like waiting for him to make the first move so that everyone would see. Oh, okay. Okay. You think Fade prompted that? Yeah. Or like at least evoked it from him. And uh, Fade can, yeah, I guess because it's follow up with like, ah, Fade knows he got the message then. This man will have a real shot at killing the Nah Baron. Mm. And I like that. And that's where I think Hawat did include, like, like, I bet that was Hawat telling him, like, look, yeah, do it. I did it. I did everything I could. It's truly it's like, in your hands. This is up to you, man. And why I think how I did yeah. count is like, hey, it's possible. Maybe I do just knock out Fade today and all the better for it. Yeah, so he knew that like uh, going into this, this wasn't just an execution. It's like, Doofier set up the dominoes for you. Like, Louis, you can do this. You got to believe in yourself. So <laughs> yeah. Louis amped. Louis pumped. Like Fate, but Fate. <laughs> I like this heartwarming, like, you got to believe in yourself, Louis. <laughs> you just got to go out there and give 110%. This is a feel-good story. <laughs> yeah. 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 We are uh, We are at. Uh, <laughs> There's a locker room. Like, I was going to say, yeah. We're, monologue and everything. states. Like, what is it the, the football team to go to? Like, <laughs> yeah. we're doing it, guys. Remember the Titans. Yeah. yeah. Remember the Atreides. Oh, well, we have to. Somebody has but, to. Uh, so, yeah, Fade knew this was going to go through the slave grapevine. Yes. Get to Louis. He, like I said, I think he was hey, uh, hey, waiting grapevine. for him. Like a little wine joke there. Mike. <laughs> uh, he was waiting for him to, like, announce okay. himself somehow. So, ultimately, we get this thing that there's no terror in the trooper. Uh, even though Fade likes to demonstrate the poisons on his victims, and he knows that would have also been told to this trooper. Fade loves to just slice someone up and then just wait and watch them ride the nagging mm. and talk about it and describe it and point it out to That's people. That's like such a like big bad evil thing to do. Well, like, and like no wonder no one likes coming to these fucking fights. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's always even, just a history lesson. Yeah, it's not even fun. Like, there's not even a battle. There's just a guy getting poisoned. Everyone, take out your notebooks. Yep. Oh, great. And there's like a test when you yeah. leave. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to cut through all the bullshit though. Mm-hmm. Cause like right as the trooper finishes calling him, he pounces and he is so quick and right on fate is able to dodge like just shield timing enough. And if he was like a moment later, he, the, um, Louis would have severed the tendon in fades left leg, but fate is able to sink a barb into the unshielded right forearm. And, uh, 
Fade, he loves the gas from the crowd, and he knows the Baron can only be thinking of the danger to himself. Right. Like, both those are equally sweet to him. Mm. Uh, but then the trooper, he kind of, like, stumbles back, and he just puts his knife in his teeth, and he lashes that barb onto his arm. Yeah. So, like, so it's in his forearm, so it's down up. He must be lashing it upwards. I don't know what he's tying it down with. Probably just ripping off some cloth of some sort from him. Yeah, that you is weird that it doesn't like, mention, like, how he, like, lashed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like, what, it, it's got to be, oh, like... Oh, with the pennant. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. What is it say that? Yeah. Awesome. It's literally the rest of the sentence. Oh, my God. <laughs> we just I stopped reading, Mike. I skim. I skim. <laughs> Too cool to read. Yeah. So sorry. But yeah, so you got that latches on. I like that. And now that just like, think of it being like colored, like the uh, their things off. So like, mm. it's going to look fantastic now. Um, I do not feel your needle. Jeez. Yeah. Fucking metal. So the, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm totally on board with the fact that this guy is probably like cream of the crop. Yeah. This is a berserk <laughs> Atreides guy. Yeah, he definitely wasn't given like a performance enhancing drug. Right, right. This is just adrenaline <laughs> that you put him out with. Now, Fade, he has to wave down his handlers again. They've crept out of the Prue doors. They're like in the arena and he pushes them like all the way back through. And um, he will give them a show they will never forget. He kind of is deciding on this, right? We're going to show everybody here. He give takes it- a stance so that like, it definitely shows that this is like an experienced fighter too, and someone that's knowledgeable about like their surroundings going in. It's not just some like yeah, you're saying Louis, not, yeah, Louis. Yeah. It's not a drugged execution or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like he takes his stance. They come like I guess the shield covers most of the area in front of him probably, and I think the gallery's just like oh oh my yeah, god like, yeah because he he turns sideways yeah. a little bit so it's the smallest uh, frame showing and. Uh, they move into like a scurry. The trooper advances. Fade. It says he like appears to stumble, um, but the following line sort of makes it appear like he no, he does just kind of tip over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that man strikes down Louis again, and we get Fade's internal thoughts here. Gods, what a fighting man! Fade Rafa thought as he leapt to a side. Only youth's quickness saved him. That's where I think, like, he definitely fell. Yeah. And, like, thank God you're a young boy. And, like, he leaps out, and he's able to get that second barb. And this one is buried in the deltoid muscle of the slave's right arm. Do you know where your deltoid is? Deltoid? Yeah. It's going to be your, like, shoulder. It's the muscle that lifts the arm. Oh. So, yeah, I didn't know that before going in. Uh, but now I like So he can't even, like, now use his arm. Now we have one in the forearm. So you can't twist your arm probably any. It's probably, like, I assume the forearm one is between the two bones. Oh, God. And then the um, other one is stuck up towards the shoulder, like, jammed into the tendons mm. there. And again, Louis is just like, whatever, man. Tie it back up. I got more pennant, oh. I guess. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can just keep going. There's pendants everywhere. Oh, wait, wait. So... I, I thought you said pendant in the beginning. So it's the flag. It's a flag. It's oh, an orange flag. That is fantastic. Now I want, I want to see the legit. Did he tear it down? Did they wait for him to tear it apart? Well, and- no, I think the, the pendant was attached to the barbs themselves. Oh, okay. Small. Though. Just like the fla- the bandoleros uh, you were I'm, talking about. Uh, right. No, I was imagining like the ones by the cars. Uh, like the full regiment size. Oh, like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> oh, I'm all over the place today. Like, yeah. No, because it, it's that's size why I, is the one thing we are not correlating. <laughs> not today. But that's why I do use the Karita as an example for this so much. Because yeah. it, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's not a gladiatorial arena right now. This is for show. This is like 
for entertainment purposes in terms of like, we're not here to execute this guy. We're here to lift up Fadrautha. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say it is a gladiatorial thing, but you're right. It's exactly the same though as what right. the old Duke did, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're basically entertaining, I think the- And we're using so many motifs from like classic bullfighting. Yeah, too. yeah. And I'm saying the tension though, I think through this whole chapter is sort of like, is he gonna end up the same fate as the old Duke? Oh my God. Like, is Louis El Muerte? Is Louis' head gonna be mounted on that wall? It'd be worth it if it was. I don't know what's <laughs> bloody on him that we. Uh, I'm still in this tea. Oh, <laughs> man. That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. Oh, I want it. Um, so, I just like that. So, yeah, his arm is like pretty much disabled at this point, but he can still fight. And yeah. Um, Basically, now the crowd at this point is cheering like they never had before. No shit. They haven't they've, had a show like they've this. Never, they've never had a real fight before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like it's always had the fix be in. And now uh, it's like how I told them. It's easier to be terrified by an enemy you admire. And this is part of that hearts and minds playing. Right. We're like, no, no, don't just have them like hate you. Have them admire you, and that's where your fear needs to come from. It's sort of like blending the Atreides and the Harkonnen mindset. I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine uh, Thufir reading The Prince. It's just like, well, let's just do both. <laughs> like, <laughs> fear and love sounds great. <laughs> I don't know why you didn't compromise. <laughs> yeah. Why yeah. do I have to choose one? <laughs> that's the weakness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, now at this point, Fade moves to the center of the ring. And uh, the trooper lashes down that second part. <laughs> so, like, I feel like one's going up his arm. The other's kind of coming down. Since so it's, like, the shoulder and then the forearm. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of, like, crossed them over, right? Okay. Because uh, okay. he's going to use this as a shield later yeah. on. <laughs> like, that's what this build's up to, which is really great. And uh, Fade has this thought. Let the family see me do this thing. I am their enemy. Let them think of me as they see me now. Mm. So he's going to start his, it's very, uh, very Vladimir and how he took over his family. He's going to sort of just show them a brutal performance too. So that when they think of fate, they're going to think of like, this could, this could be very well be you in here with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's not just the political or like, I have money kind of threat. Like I could actually kill people very easily. Yeah. And well, and I think he's partially alluding to the poison move that we're going to see happen. You know, where he's sort of like, aha, you don't, you can never fully trust me. Mm-hmm. Like intentionally, yeah. Showing that he's his own person and this is how I'm going to do things. Family. Question, I guess I didn't, uh, this wasn't clear to me. Is it poison on both blades or did he switch which blade has the poison? No, he put poison on both. Okay. His white blade is poison and his black. Blade. Okay. I didn't see that because I thought he was alluding to like, you never know which hand holds the poison. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking that like maybe well, one is and one isn't still. Y- oh, yeah. But it's just swap. Yeah. I see what you're saying of swap, but I think it's more of him being like uh, extra duplicitous and being like, you've been told your whole life the black doesn't have the poison. The black is okay. The black is safe. Not when you're with Fade Rautha. Like, it doesn't matter which hand strikes you. Mm. Um, but I, I get where you come from, too, there. I wanted to just point out this thing of, like, I am their enemy, where we juxtapose him with Paul. One mm. of Paul's last thoughts was looking at Jessica, his family. Like, you're my enemy. Yeah, yeah his man. Only, his only family. Yeah. So I like that they both have that. I miss that. I miss that. Thank you. That's what That's I'm really good. With. Little bits. Um so he's partially, like I said, referring to that poison move coming up. But the trooper assures Fade he will die on his own blade before any poison can strike him. Just like, come at me. And in this next flurry, the trooper 
Um, oh my God, I'm calling him Trooper. Louie! Louie! <laughs> <laughs> you know what Louie's got? What? He's got a little Jameis mic because he does the knife switch. <laughs> oh! <Yeah. laughs> and much like Jameis, he kind of dies because of it. But he, uh, he parries, he faints, and he grapples uh, Fade, and they fall to the ground. And basically, I don't know where his knife ends up, uh, J- uh, Louie's knife. Yeah. Uh, but he has Fade's white knife. And it's like as Fade is holding it. And this is like such a great movie trope, right? They struggled sideways across the stand where Fade Routh's shield met the slave's half shield. A blue glow marked the contact. The air around them filled ozone from the field. And like the Louis is just pressing that knife down. They're both holding the white knife like as they go with one hand. And Ooh. I just, you've seen that in so many movies in a dual scene where they're like talking to each other at that right. point. And we get our last bits out. Um, and Fade is like, well, you know what? I've put on a good enough show. It's time to end this. Because one, that white knife is getting really close to me. No, you know what? Hmm. Sorry to ruin your thunder. I am 100% convinced now that it's only the black blade that's poisoned. Why? Because he refers to it like that Louis takes the knife that he thinks the poison is in. And then he mentions, Louis yells, die on your own poison. And then Fade has this thought like, I didn't even occur to me. I could die on an, an unpoisoned blade. Ooh. So I think it is just one blade that's poisoned. Okay. Okay. Next thought, Mike, you're fucking right. Yeah. Uh, no, we we just stopped for a second. We kind of flipped through the book. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. uh, I, I, I pushed back a little bit. But yeah, uh, Fade totally has just swapped the blades, and his white one is not poison. Mm-hmm. I think my thought was more devious. Like, why wouldn't you poison them both? What's the point of not poisoning the white blade at this point? I think it's to send a message, because when we were talking about... But, uh, like, no one's ever going to know that he didn't poison the white blade. No, you, they will. It, it's uh, it, it'll say that in a little bit here too. Does he say it out loud? No, no. You'll see. Okay, you'll see. Damn it! Who's doing what in the well, show when anymore? He, right? When he nicks him with the black ba- blade, yeah. Louis has a physical reaction to it. You can like see yeah, him, and He's everyone in, knows I mean, that's poison. And everyone realizes like, oh, the black blade is poisoned. Oh, see, what I'm just saying is like, but there's no reason for them to know that he didn't poison the white blade. That's true. The people. Which is, I guess, where I'm... That's apparently what my perspective was that's with true. the people's perspective. You had the right perspective. I guess it would have been better if Fade had been cut with his white blade. No, you know, know what it is, though? It's sort of just like, this is only for Fade. I'm just, like, knowing the difference here. Yeah. I don't know. But it's like, like this, this is the Fade Routh plan. It's, like, great idea, but not really thought all the way through. <laughs> yeah, like, that's how you know it wasn't too fair. Yeah, you do this whole thing, but, like, no one's ever going to know you did that. <laughs> They're just going to think you cheated. I'm wearing my lucky socks today. <laughs> Little do they know. Wait till I hear this. But you got to wear boots when you go in the arena. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I do just want to say, that's a great catch, though, of just the one blade. And so, yeah, where you pointed this out for me is uh, where we're at. Uh, and they're tumbling with each other. sort of on the ground. And the guy's trying to stab him with that white blade. Fade has this thought of like, oh, shit. I could die on a normal blade, apparently. Like, uh, those do hurt, too. Yeah, it's like, the poison isn't the issue. But you're right, it's, just, it's a great scene. Yeah, uh, a good show tr- of, like, struggling with that one thing. And so Fade's just like, I need to just end this. Yeah. So he goes and he whips up the long poison blade from mm-hmm. his black hand. And ting, ting, he just hits the barbs on the guy's like, arm. Oh. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's like the, uh-oh, that wasn't in the plan of, like, what the fuck have I done? He's <laughs> like, like, he didn't think that he'd use them as a shield. <laughs> So now he's got shields on both sides. 
I'm just like, oh no, <laughs> this is a shocked Pikachu right here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Flicking your blade. Oh, crap. And, like, you know, time must just stop for him right there. I'm just like, what do I do? And rolling through these options. He's no Mentat. Like, he's going to do this normal human speed. And now, but we got we got one saving grace, right? Scum. You had trade, you scum. And the guy's muscles sort of seize up for the moment. And he's able to get the blade around. And he just flicks this long line. Just You can imagine from the navel, like, up the guy's chest, right? Mm. And just this little sliver, an instant pain. Uh, Louis disengages and sort of staggers backwards. And we get Fade, a sort of internal monologue. Now, let my dear family watch. Let them think on this slave who tried to turn the knife he thought poisoned and use it against me. Let them wonder how a gladiator could come into the arena ready for such an attempt. And let them always be aware they cannot know for sure which of my hands carries the poison. I think that that's important. I do think you made a good point that, like, no No, one's ever going to know. I'm fucking shocked I missed it this whole time. I think that his point is, it's like what uh, Leto was telling Paul earlier in the book. What you're missing is we need to know what what's important is, you know, what hand holds the knife. Yeah. And with Fade Ratha, his point is like, you can never be sure which hand holds the knife, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like taking that metaphor just to the next step yeah. of just like, and now you need to know which one of the knives to watch. Right. So right, right. Kind of deal. But yeah. Yeah. No, you're dead right. But uh, I think, I think no, I think his, what you described, like it's a better poetic message and makes um, a good, um, what do I want to say here? Um, I think yours has like a lot more meaning. Symbolism? Uh, yeah, yeah. Symbol like symbolism to it for like this knife kind of thing. But I still hold to my point of like, no one knows. That's <laughs> true. I think honestly, I think this is just uh probably a mistake on Frank's part. I think he should have mentioned Fade got nicked by his own yeah, white yeah, knife I or something. Well, saying, like using like, the white while, knife. While it's coming down, the fact that like, oh, maybe it like draws blood or something, but like sure. he doesn't react to it. They should have he should have done something. You give them a reason to know about the white knife. You're totally right. It's like no one's ever going to know. <laughs> no one knows you did this. Yeah. No one saw you use a knife. You just um, dunked them both in the poison vat beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get a really cool uh, word used by Frank. And I didn't. I had to look this one up. But he says um, there was an orthographic thing on his face. Ooh. It was like death was written there. Um, orthography? is a set of conventions for writing a language. It includes norms of spelling, hyphenization, capitalization, word breaks, emphasis, and punctuation. Very good. Yeah, I think just expert fucking use of a word because he then follows it up with the next line being like, the death was written there. So I think those two just go together so well to tell you what's happening on that man's face right now. Damn. And how easy it is for everyone to read it. Very cool. Oh my now, gosh. Fade gives death its space. He steps back, and uh, Louis, though, is able to get off one last line. Ew. Much in the um, line of, like, Dr. Yui, of, like, one day, one of us will get you. And he falls, and he turns away as he falls, right? Fade goes over, turns him over with his foot. Louis has shoved his own blade into him when he went down. Mm. He did not let the poison take him. Uh, and Atreides, honest to the end, he promised you in the beginning of the fight, like you're not this gonna, is how yeah. it's going to go down. Um, Fade is like frustra- In a way, Louis won. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think he gets it. Uh, and especially, like, think about this. This is probably the first, ooh, in Atreides, well, I guess he might not be family, Atreides, but a trooper, is going to be given honors 
on Gaiety Prime. That's true. Because Fade flips him over. He's got this blade in. He's mad. He's angry. He's frustrated. But he's impressed. True. He admires the man. Be like, how did he... And then fear kind of evolves from that admiration. Like, how did he overwhelm the paralysis to do that? The determination in a man Mm -hmm. that must be necessary. Um, And that's why I think this was one of the Atreides Sadokar kind of hybrids. I agree with you. Did they? Okay, now I got to think back because it's been a while Mm -hmm. since we've been reading this. Did they explicitly say they've been training like a Sardaukar level Atreides force? Is well, that no, no, something no. you told me? That's something I told you. So We're, this would be our first hint as to that. We've only been given like kind of hints. Yep. For like, okay. you're wondering what did the Emperor hate so much? Like, what is it about the Fremen in this prison planet? Why did Lado go on such an in- intense diatribe to tell Paul about the prison planet? Mm-hmm. And remember, because right, that was, right, that was right. like manic Lado being like, no, Paul, think about it. Where did the soda car come from, man? Like, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> Spice plastic. <laughs> Spice plastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like they give us, but we're, we are going to eventually get to a very direct uh, conversation that's going okay. to mention the fact. But I just felt like it was one of those things like the guys, Helen Mahayam where we're not going to go back and re-record all of our episodes. So I wanted to be able to move through the entire process knowing the Atreides had this little ace up their sleeve. I get that. I get that. Because I I would have had those questions like, but why? But why? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, like, we will get there. But I just think it's such a cool little bit. And uh, it's one of those ones that, uh, where we had that spoiler conversation, like it's not the point of the story, but at the same time, it kind of is. I think uh, this is one of those examples where I think this book is, I mean, I love this book so far, mm. but I think this book ages better if you reread it. That multi-layered kind of approach to it. Because, like, now that you know, like, oh, all the hints and all the secrets, you're like, oh, I see these things now. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you're reading it for the first time, I understand why it's so difficult as well. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know, like, why are we bringing this up? Like, yeah, I or, think- like, why didn't you mention this? Like, this is just written poorly. <laughs> so- and the fact that this is not, it's just not necessarily written in a classic, like, chronological order as well as, like, other books are with their exposition or explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's weird. It's, like, to both the credit and detriment of Frank Herbert, in a way. I love what you did, but this is not easy to just pick up and go. You're going to have a lot of bad critiques the first time you're going through it. Yep. And then after the second time, they'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, okay, bravo, well done. Yeah, you go through, like, waves of, like, ups and downs with Frank. And that's what I love. Like, you know what? Ultimately, he's just a dude who wrote a good book. Uh, you know, he's not a genius. He's not a prophet. He mm. took good notes. He didn't take perfect notes. He got notes. lucky in some parts. Oh, I like, didn't realize, like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> you I, think that's why he's like, I meant to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, oh, okay. I would actually hate to know the parts he got lucky because they're probably parts I love and think he didn't intend. You know, like, it would ruin the right, magic. Right. I like some of the uh, mystery here. So... We have this point where um, now Fade's turned him over, this knife's in him, and he's um, <laughs> at this point, the handlers come out, and they come out with bone saws. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big saw knife. Oh, my God. You know, they've uh, the people are chanting, head, 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 and the Baron's like, well, yeah, you did good. You know what you've done, Fade? You've exposed the slave master's betrayal, is what he's thinking to himself. Right, right, right. Like, Baron, you're so, so dumb. Um, so, like... It's never like a live or die thing like in classic uh, coliseums. It's like you always expect them to die. It's just like, oh, but do you claim their head as a trophy? I think it, I think it's like a Harkonnen twist. Yeah. I, it might be. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's hard to tell that we don't see another Imperium duel. 
uh, or like a Karita kind of fight like this. So, uh, but I imagine this is a Harkonnen way. I and feel like I feel God, a bone saw is so intense. It, it feels dirty. Right? Like we talk about all these Karitas and bullfights, and our first one is a goddamn like Harkonnen one. Yeah, and like, a great and like an honorable, the yeah. one honorable, honorable Harkonnen one. Oh. Um, but I just I can't imagine what the scene is like when like if fate is expected to take this saw and just start going at this dead oh, body God. and everyone just watches. Uh, but we're going to avoid this altogether because fade he's going to bend down. He crosses the arms and he sort of puts that guy's blade into his loose hands, right? Mm-hmm. And tells him like, "Look, this man deserves to be buried because he earned it." And uh, in the golden box, the Count Fenring leans close to the Baron and said, a grand gesture that true bravura. Mm. Like, obviously, again, I said this was a very constructed chapter. Yeah. That was there for a reason to evoke the old Duke. And it's just very, uh, it's very blatant, but like it fits perfectly. Uh, and he tells him, your nephew has a style as well as courage. The Baron thinks Fade has offended the people. And uh, Margot is the one who's like, points out like, well, look at the people. And the Baron looks at her first, because uh, again, she's so beautiful. Yeah. But when he looks at her, he just sees the muscle of a young boy. <laughs> he's such a creep. Dude, dude. <laughs> you can't stop even here. And then he looks at the crowd she was pointing to. Um, Man. And he sees everyone at every tier, even like up in the nose. They're just like, yeah. Yeah, they're losing their shit. They're going crazy. It's so funny that like uh, the Baron always thinks he is like, the best and he always wants to be the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. But like he's just not in this situation with the Fenrings. They're no. both like worlds above him. Yeah. Yeah. I I would go so far to say streets ahead, Mike. Yeah. Uh <laughs> these are like different people altogether. Uh but again, he's not terrible because the Baron no, looks around. Not. Well, I'm saying he sees the people all riled up and he's mm. like, We need to let off some steam. I can't let the people leave here like right, all right. jacked up. They're gonna tear they might rebel. They might get some thoughts of independence and such. <laughs> so we order the pennant to be dipped three times and that apparently means a fate and that's gonna be like a celebration yeah. a carnival of sorts. Um we're gonna celebrate Fade's victory. And um is going to bleed off all their energy, essentially, not unlike the barbs in a gladiator's arm. And I just think there's some similarity to, like, how we treat the people to how we would treat the enemy in the arena. Mm. Of, like, weaken them a little bit so they don't get too cocky and just take them down a notch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, The Prue barriers are dropped. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have something you wanted to touch on? I was actually going to ask. What is the fate? Because I didn't look it up or anything. So it's it's like a carnival or a celebration. Oh. Yeah. Um, I don't know what language it uh, dips out of. I didn't get that definition, though. Okay. Um, sorry for not looking at that part. It's all good. Um, it strikes me as either either Latin or French. Um, I'm not sure. So How many how many uh, festivals do you think they have in Harko? Oh, not many. <laughs> I think it's even far between. <laughs> not uh, many. Royal birthdays. And then any day the Baron might want. But yeah, well, I guess it is a royal birthday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why. Yeah, we tipped down for it. Uh, oh, I guess actually, no, I'm sorry. Not even, because we weren't going to have this until Fade did this crazy battle. Yeah, we were yeah. just going to go home for the day. So probably very rare. Um, the Prue barriers are dropped, and these are what I told you before. We're blocking the people from getting in, because now they're just, like, leaping into the stadium, mm-hmm. right? They're hoisting him up. And like you said before, of like, wait, but getting to this point, the Baron, though, is satisfied. No one will lay a finger on Fade because he's won this, like, legitimate real battle. Mm-hmm. He's swayed them the way Hawat had imagined. It's something the Baron never saw coming. 
Uh, but the Baron, uh, he does dismiss himself right from here. He sort of is like done with this. He tells me his like a business to attend to. And uh, oh, he's gonna kill that handler. Yeah, the handler's done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that guy's not coming back. Uh, but he definitely has something on his mind, right? Like uh, back when we had that bit happening in the field, like the Baron was just contemplating to himself, mm. just like this is a threat to me. Well, I mean, like he, again, Fade's doing a lot of very Lado things right now. Yeah, and like as much as he respected Lado, Lado was always a threat. I like that. <gasps> Ooh. You know, that Phoenix thing is even kind of arising through fade. Well, that's what I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I very, very like it. That's a good one. Of like Lado coming through him. Yeah. Oh, poor Baron. Just can't win. Uh, but maybe he'll get that thrown himself. And this is the new plan. Yeah. So, like I said, the Baron dismisses himself. We are left with the Fenrings in the golden box. And a guard captain is sort of like, well, uh, should I take you out of here? And basically, Hazmir is like, uh, we're not going to get stuck in the traffic. We'll wait. Like, we'll wait for a moment. You can go about your business. Yeah. He just sits back. And okay. we have a, a good humming conversation. <laughs> so like, I just imagine, I, like, if we take this out of context and we don't see any of this dialogue. Yeah. Just both of them looking at each other going, hmm. Mm. Oh, I was mm. actually going to pause it. Maybe they're like humming a song together. Mm. I'm just like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just kind of going. I just like to imagine like someone listening, just like, what the hell? What? These people are fucking weird. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm never going to Kaitan. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what happens in the Imperial Court, but I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. Or, or um, I guess Caladan either. Yeah, yeah, now Caladan. <laughs> and the, basically, they both saw that Fade, he was not surprised by any of that, right? Mm -hmm. he, was in, he was in on this. He knew it. It was all an act. All of this stinks of Hawat. Hawat must have messed with the Emperor back in the day for uh, Hasmir to be so familiar with his plans. Mm -hmm. I think that means they've crossed paths a few times. Yeah, well, they're both Master of Assassins, right? Exactly. Well, they yeah, both, yeah same role. Like, um, so. Except that Fenring's not a Mentat. Exactly. Are we sure he's not a Mentat at all? Yeah. Okay. Training what he would. I guess been, we would have we would have uh, had him described as having like Sappho. Sappho. We would have we would call him like a mentat. Right, right, right. Yada yada. But the fact that he's a master of assassins. That's yeah. pretty. No, he's really yeah. good at what he does, even without being a mentat. Because mm -hmm. uh, you think he has at his disposal every imperial mentat, not like the emperor has, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As like, I assume there's just sort of like how you have a team of legal professionals. I like to I like to think of uh, oh god, this is such a D and D thing for me, mm -hmm. where. Uh, like, through fear, I think of, like, his intelligence being, like, his big, biggest weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with Fenring, uh, it's his uh, tongue, his, like, wit. and his, like silver, His charisma. Yeah, yeah. Like, that being, like... But they both have excellent dexterity. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt that, right? Yes, yeah. Like, I don't know what their jump stat is, but <laughs> I know what they're good at. Um, so we end up having, uh, this conversation goes on. We're building off of how here and, uh, Hasmir tells Marco, like I demanded earlier that the Baron eliminate how she goes, that was an error. My dear. He tells her, I see that now. Yeah. And I like that. That's an evolution that happened during this chapter. Cause right? like, yeah, the, the, they thought like, oh man, we need to have him killed like loose lips. But now they're thinking this actually helps what we want. I'm like, shit. He might just kill the Baron. I might have just gotten rid of, like, this good yeah. thing. Like, this is a tool for us to have, in a mm. way, of, like, one, I bet, and this is, like, pure speculation of, like, I wonder if he's thinking, like, they could manipulate Hawat. 
oh, to do something against the Harkonnen. Maybe. Because well, of here's how- the thing. If they can manipulate Fade, maybe they think they can get through to Hawet through Fade somehow. Oh, I think that's overly complex. Think- I th- I'm just looking at, uh, obviously, the Atreides Harkonnen like, antagonism. I think that's all he would plan to stroke within Hawat. Okay. Uh, but I get what you're saying. I don't know if... I guess, yeah, now they would, they would know. Because they're not going to get any direct access to Hawat, probably. Right, no, what I was saying, I was, before I was thinking they wouldn't know he's aligned with Fade, but I guess you're saying, yeah, from the fight, they're sort of concluding this allegiance uh, between the two. I guarantee you, I bet, uh, uh, oh, God. Uh, Margo? Margo is definitely uh, aware of that just by watching No, no, I think, I think they both did by the end of the right. fight. Like seeing, yeah, that's what this discussion is now. I'm, what, like, I'm like right there with you. Well, was because uh, Hasmir trained in the Benning Chesarit way? He partially, partially up until they found out he was the genetic eunuch. Gotcha. So part of it is that like he has the same like uh, perception of minutia that uh, Margot has, more or less. I'm he guessing definitely, probably, definitely less, but maybe yeah. not to the same degree, yeah. but like he definitely we, has like, we're going to assume he has some he probably, I mean, powers. It's better than Paul's. Uh, Oh, what? Uh, Paul's had 15 years to practice this minutia and observation. Ben ring has had how long? I'd put an asterisk if I don't know, but okay. I, be, I mean, sure. I bet it's I'm, more, more well-practiced. Well I will take more as a yes, though, like, like, like continue on of like yeah. what your thought was. Sure. What do you, what do you think they'll be building off of that? I, I didn't realize until this part of the chapter mm-hmm. how much he's been paying attention and that the fact that they have the secret language of just hums that you basically, um, when I think of secret languages, I think of the Bene Gesserit immediately yeah. and just you study all the ancient languages. This is just between them. He's able to pick up her hums as well, so he has to have has that. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. That uh, perception. That kind of training. And so it made me rethink the rest of the chapter and how things have been. So like, Whenever he was talking with Vladimir, he was able to read him like a book, probably. Well, like I said, when he cut through of uh, telling him um, of how he wanted to use the prison planet, of like, yeah. like, yeah, I read your entire thought. Lead the house's minor, Baron. Go, go for Right. That's yeah. what, and I think that's why his words cut so deeply. It's because he knows exactly, like, how to apply pressure and where. Right. It's and like, it's like having expertise like, yeah. of how to do it and like how to observe those things in you. And he doesn't have to have any sort of like dossier ahead of time. He can just like meet you in a conversation and completely dominate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just easier if he does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. But it <laughs> honestly, it's like save me some time. But yeah, I can figure <laughs> it out on the ground and I'm really good at doing that. Uh, yeah. Dude, killer with the manners of a rabbit. Yeah. Doesn't get better. Very good. Now, um, this kind of continues on of like the Harkonnens may have a new Baron Erlong, which is sort of what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. If that's Hawat's plan is what the Count says. Because again, the Count is going to be more familiar with Hawat, I would think, just with their overlapping professional intrigue. Um, well, I mean, I bet you're right that it probably is Thufir's like double-faced plan. One, if he kills Fade, like, hey, that, you know, Again, win-win. Which win-win. Either, either one of them gone is helpful. But, like, if you do uh, elevate Fade, Fade's probably a lot easier to control than Vlad is. Exactly. So, Thufir can have some leeway there. Maybe and that's going to be, happen. like, uh, where the Count brings it. Because uh, saying it's Hobbit's plan, Margot responds, like, that will bear examination true. And that's very Bene Gesserit. It's very Bene Gesserit. Ah, no, yeah, right the Fade. Like, I will accept it, but we must verify. Mm-hmm. Uh, going forward. And so, then... 
the councils, the young one will be more amenable to control. So that's what you're touching mm-hmm. on. Like, yeah, I think everyone knows like it's easier to read and manipulate fate. He's not as disciplined in some ways as the Baron is mm-hmm. where the Baron does give in to gluttony and all that. Like his plans and the house are like ironclad. It's hard right. to get in between those. Uh, and so she finishes with the, for us after tonight. And I like the use of us. There is very much that, um, has me being indoctrinated with the Bene Gesserit. Like it's their plan. He is part of the Bene Gesserit as far as Margo is concerned. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think like they're using all the trappings of the Imperium and the emperor as just like a cover to get here and do the work they really need to do. And Hasmir asks if she'll have any trouble. This is like in seducing Fade. Mm. Uh, but she knows based on how he looked at her that it's all in the bag. Like he, <laughs> his, yeah. his nickname for her, my little brood mother. My little brood, yeah. <laughs> I just read that. I was like, that's weird. Oh, that's why I love that. It's endearing, like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, because, well, one, they're very formal in how they speak to each other yeah, yeah. while they're here. I feel like that maybe they relax a little bit behind the scenes, but I do like how they poke and prod each other in yeah, that yeah. kind of like high minded speech. But yes, he calls her brood mother, which would be her like Bene Gesserit designation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, she knows she takes it kind of lightly. Um, because she's going to, and, yeah, she ultimately the plan is like she's gonna get Fade's baby and she's going to plant phrases in Fade. Ooh, that's just like, super just cute. like Louis. Well, that I think that's why again, constructed chapter. Yeah. That's why they they demonstrated that technique in this chapter. Oh. So yeah. that when you got to the end, you know what we're talking about. So you know how we were talking about like we don't really have any idea what happened with like uh guys Helmahayam and Vlad? I bet she did mm-hmm. something similar in order to uh seduce him. Oh, okay. And like, what do you mean? Like some sort of uh, a daub inflicted upon him. Yeah. Just so like, that like the opportunity would arise and that uh, like he would take her to bed. Okay. Oh, that's okay. what I'm guessing. You think like she put some sort of like, uh, what are you thinking? Like to make him be attracted to her or maybe, I don't know. I don't know the logistics. I'm just saying like, oh, it, Mike, it's all, it's fake. You can make up whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. No, no, but I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I can see. Uh, I was wondering what you meant. Over, if I was thinking, do you think she sort of like blacked him out and like almost like date raped uh, the Baron? I'm just like, because she knows he's not going to be into right, it. Probably. But sort of like obstructs it. Uh, right, right, right. So this is a sort of pulling the stuffing out of the encyclopedia because the encyclopedia tells us like he might have fallen in love with her, but it's still like vague. Oh, and that they, that he harbors that sort of like a resentment, Resent. yeah. Um, but I like how very through fear. <laughs> no, ex- yeah. well, th- we had a very through fear thought of like yeah. the universe should be rid of them. Right, right, right. Uh, so both could hold true. So this continues on of like, like I said, we're gonna plant phrases into them, and she says, so, uh, like they'll be able to control him with just a few words, basically. Mm-hmm. I'll plant the I'll plant deep in his deepest self the necessary prana bindu phrases to bend him, and then we're gonna get the fuck out of here. It's like, <laughs> Gady Prime sucks. She would never bear a child here. It's like, yeah, she shudders. Like, yeah, no, by all means, we gotta leave this place. Yeah, and then they have a great uh, kind of playful exchange over like what they do for humanity. <laughs> And this is my favorite Fenring line. And he tells her, like, you know, she's got to go do all the... I have to go seduce him and sleep with him. And he's like, look, there are some ancient prejudices I overcome. They're quite primordial, you know. <laughs> and that's why, like, they're high-mindedness to it. Like, look, he's like, 
I get jealous, baby. That's all I need you to know. That's what I need you to hear. My poor dear. Pats his cheek. Pats his cheek. They are a really good match together. Yeah. And there's such understanding, too. Like, hey, they're great swingers. Uh, We're like, this Mm -hmm. is just for this business. This isn't (laughs) pleasure. Um, But we're saving that bloodline. And he spoke in a dry voice. It's like, yeah, I quite understand what we do. Indeed. So, like I said, he's really bought into the Bene Gesserit mission. Uh, I'm surprised. I never really caught it as clearly as going through the chapter this time. Mm-hmm. All the use of us and my and, like, possessive of the Bene Gesserit we, plan yeah. uh, is really cool. They're totally on the same page. And the Emperor is totally backseated on this entire venture. Mm-hmm. I'll do what you told me, but my other job is kind of coming first and superseding it. Uh, and I wonder if we're going to see that like in other aspect of Hasmir's life. Like, how far does the Bene Gesserit permeate into what he does? Mm-hmm. Um, so how he uh, Hasmir ends up commenting on how awful the Baron has been, basically how misleading and distortive all of his words have been. Like uh, he's been obscuring the truth on every level. Uh, looking very back to like the whitewash buildings on the drive in, just down to that fundamental kind of basis. Mm. And the actions uh, have all been giving a misleading account or impression. Margot says the nephew could end up worse though. And this uh, prompts a thought from Hasmir, a really great one of like, what if fate had been raised with Atreides morals, like the Atreidean code? Like there, there's potential in fade. He would have he would have been great. I mean, granted, he would have just been Paul. Uh, I think that's all that is, right? Do you think that he sort of has a terrible purpose lurking within him? Uh, well, Fade must. He's pretty much the same place as Paul. Yeah, in the line. Or do you? Well, okay, they got the same grandfather. Yes. Oh wait, no, no, they don't. No, no, no. Demi, he's demi nephew. brother. But yeah. like, no. So like, they're about in the same place as where the breeding program needs to be because. Uh, it would be their child, more or less. Yeah. But th- that doesn't necessarily, they both, like, have the same powers or at the same, like, level of, like, psyche or uh, prescience, even. Maybe there is no prescience in Fade. Maybe it's just, like, two halves that need to go together to make, like, the next Yeah, no, no, Paul, step. well, remember, Paul isn't supposed to be. He's something else. Something happened with Paul that's like completed. So yeah, he is very different from Fade. Gotcha. Fade, okay. uh, the closest Fade's gonna get is gonna be whatever we attributed to Leto mm-hmm. is gonna be. Well, I think what Fade has. I, I am. Well, I think we uh, we talked about this last week. I do think there is just like there was some weird mutation with Paul, and that's what made this so messed up. Yeah. No. Oh, there definitely was. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Uh, Paul's a freak of nature. Uh, <laughs> Paul, poor Paul, dude. Paul shouldn't be. Um, even the encyclopedia like goes down that road as being like, no, something unexpected happened here. Oof. Uh, and it was just sort of like the Bene Gesserit couldn't account for it. Um, but so this is going to leave us with our, our last uh, couple paragraphs here. And it's a little exchange between mm-hmm, uh, the mm-hmm. two. Uh, and it starts, um, I believe, is it with the count going? Yes. So uh, what that we could have saved both the Atreides youth and this one. From what I've heard of that young Paul, a most admirable lad, good union of breeding and training, he shook his head. But we shouldn't waste sorrow over the aristocracy of misfortune. There's a Bene Gesserit saying, uh, (laughs) she said. They have sayings for everything, he protested. Not they, you. Oh, I'm sorry. You have sayings for everything. Or is he talking about the Bene Gesserit or is he talking about her? 
I don't know. Uh, I bet. I bet. Like, because uh, I, I would. I would have thought it would have been we in that case because we you were talking about the possessive. Yeah, yeah. No, he's talking about them. Of yeah, like okay. the two of us. Like we shouldn't like you waste saying for everything. <laughs> we shouldn't waste sorrow. Oh no, I'm sorry. I, I was saying the we is like we shouldn't waste sorrow. Uh, but he just says there's a Bene Gesserit saying, or she says there's a Bene Gesserit saying. He f- comes back of uh, you have a saying for everything. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think you into her. Yeah, I think it is probably for her. Like, I think because she again well, they've had this conversation a few yeah. times maybe. Uh, much like Leto and Jessica having their reoccurring, like this is a husband and wife yeah, been yeah, together yeah. for many years. Uh, and their last line here, you'll like this one. She said, "It goes: Do not count a human dead until you've seen his body, and even then, you can make a mistake." Mm. That's what our chapter closes on, which is great because one, we we think about Paul and Jessica for yeah. one, but two, I think also about Leto. I think the Legend of the Phoenix remark she made is related to this one as well. Like there is a lot of that Atreides bravura going on in Fade. Oh, okay. Wait, do you mean the old Duke or Leto? I think even both of them, regardless. Both. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like Leto sort of followed suit because you have the you've got those three Dukes. You've got old Duke. You've got Amorte for a week, and you've got Leto. Yeah. Like, thank God. All I, across. I was really worried you weren't going to count. Of course. Correctly. How could I forget? Yeah. Yeah. That one week where Amorte ruled Caladan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I I think I'm still really inclined towards it meaning or her talking about the Quisa Tadarak with the Phoenix. I can't help stop thinking about that Phoenix line though. Right. It's so ambiguous. I, and I wish it was a little more specific. I think if you take into account the shuddering sort of like ominous emotions or maybe potentially even fear that the Baron felt looking at those talismans yeah. on his wall. Yeah. The uh, Legend of the Phoenix that Margot talks about. The blatant Carita. The use of Bravora. The use from, of Bravora. Uh, the Count. Yeah. And as well as this saying that like... You don't know someone's dead until you see the body, and even then, you can make a mistake. I think the ghost of Leto, in a way, is like, you have so many layers of this man. Like, even dead, you can't kill him. I, I was just kind of thinking of, like, the uh, yeah, you've killed Leto, but you haven't killed the idea of Leto. And, or, like, what he represents. And that just makes me think of Paul's terrible purpose, and, like, that jihad with the skull of his father being the symbol of it Mm -hmm. even dead that man is still gonna have impact oh that's a great way to bring it back to Leto. yeah i kind of forgot about that motif yeah the skull motif it's like and it makes me think more about like i i I, maybe i didn't put enough weight behind Leto as a whole because again when i met him and sort of learning about him like it's pretty early on in my experience in this book and I'm I'm beginning to realize that so many things relate back to what he stood for, believed in, or what he did. You know, a lot of people say he gets lost in the shadow of his son. Oh! Uh, I, think, I think it's something I read somewhere. <laughs> There's a comment on Kaladin. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's, that's going to be a really unique perception for you. Like, where, like, Leto does get lost in the story. Like, if you're just cruising through this book, you've forgotten about Leto at this point. Because he died so long ago. I think it's so impossible for me to forget about him now just based off of like all these little like little mini analyses we have. Analyses? Yeah. Analyses, I think. Sure. Uh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of wine missing from that bottle. It's, it's, but, it's empty, Mike. It's, it's empty. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. But um, no, so that's, that's what I'm thinking. And also why he's uh, also approached from uh, or spoken about from such a mystical standpoint within Irlan's books. Mm-hmm. 
I want to know more about like this future pseudo religion that like starts oh, spreading across the Imperium. I, what Leto's sort of place is in that mythology? Because yeah. there's something about that mythos. They, I mean, it's definitely not nothing. Yeah, uh, we're told to keep looking out for it. So I'm I'm actually very excited about that. It's going to be the most the best part to get to. I'm so excited. I'm really pumped. Book three. Book three. We're almost there, Mike. Oh, we're but, so close to Derek. the end. Yeah. That bottle is almost empty. I think we got to go ahead and finish it off. All right, all right. I see. Yeah, a few drops left. Let's let's polish it. All right, let's take a moment and finish off that wine there. Um, oh yeah! Hey, <laughs> you do whatever you want, Baron Duke. Well, to tell you what I want to do, I want to tell you that we partner with Audible right now. What? And they're offering our listeners a 30-day free trial when they visit audibletrial.com/spiceworldpod. Ooh, that's awesome! It's what, pretty what, good. What do you get out of that? Well, when you sign up, you get one credit that you can use to pick from thousands of titles like Dune. Mm-hmm. Uh, Highly two, recommend. Yeah, two credits if you sign up with your Amazon Prime account. That's awesome. It's pretty good and what you can do is with those credits just trade it in for any title you want any audiobook yeah from their whole library and they from their entire library of thousands of books to choose I, from. I had a couple of credits saved up i bought three books last night you had a stockpile of three credits <laughs> i would have done a razzia to get any one of those <laughs> So I bought an entire series and it was about $150 worth. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were really big books. So satisfying. So yeah, I'm really happy to get through those. But like, that's me. Uh, What about you? I actually went back and I was replaying a book I've read a few times and it's called A Hero with a Thousand Faces. Mm. It's uh, by Joseph Campbell. Have you ever heard of this? No. Basically, this is a nonfiction book, and I'd really recommend this to anyone who's interested in like storytelling uh, from an art form or an analytical form. This guy did like an analysis of myth structure through several cultures and kind of boils it down that every myth is one story told over and over again. Mm. And he develops this thing called the hero cycle. And it's sort of like the generic arc a oh, character goes okay, through in yeah, a story. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm familiar with this. Yeah, so both you and I are huge fans of Dan Harmon. Right. Creator of, like, Community, co-creator Rick and Morty. He does all these great works. He has a simplified version of it. He calls a story circle. If you've ever heard him talk oh, about yeah, this. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually really familiar with the story circle. So that's a hero circle from Joseph Campbell. He just boils it down to, instead of having, I believe the hero cycle is 12 phases, Dan boils it down to, like, six phases. Okay. Uh, and his shows are those built. Every character goes through and the whole plot has one. Mm-hmm. He just draws circles. He's like a fucking madman. <laughs> um, but I love it that this is the origin of it. But I think if you just look at this from like a storytelling point of view, it's very rewarding and there's a lot to pull out of it. So, Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. That is awesome. That's one of your options you can get when you sign up. But, mm-hmm. okay, 30 days are up. What if you don't like it? Oh, Mike. This is the best company ever nowadays. They're going to tell you. Yeah, they'll give you a little courtesy email, let you know that your time is up and ask if you want to continue. Love it when people do that. But here's a great thing too. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to continue, and why would you not? You still get to keep that book that you bought. Get to walk away. Free audiobook in your library forever. So good. We know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Get off your ass, go get a Highliner, and get over to audibletrial.spice... Oh, wow. (laughs) Get over to audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. How could you mess that up? (laughs) 
Oh, well, Mike, we're, we're back in. What, what do we got left to do? Oh, Derek, you know what we got left. Hey, I know. It's a, it's a false play. It's, it's a great one. A little gurney, gurney, gurney. Ah, uh, excellent. It's been a week. I need it, some. Yeah, let's get you your gurney fix. So, as you can know, every week I bring you three different gurneys and one quote. Derek, I need your help to figure out which gurney wore it best. We got you know, uh, Mike, like Frank Herbert. I'm just going to say, like, I meant to do that. Uh, when, <laughs> when I get it wrong, I just want to reserve that right now. I meant, I meant to get it wrong. But that was on purpose. <laughs> we got Gurney Halleck, Trudeau Lawyer. Excellent. We have James Gurney, famed author and artist of Dinotopia. You know, he's been few and far between. Yeah, it, it's hard to find good uh, James Gurney quotes, to be but honest. Then the spotlights go off. Fireworks <laughs> go but off. You always just like one more Gurney steps forward, Mike. <laughs> Ivor Gurney, English war poet and composer. He, he really, really is the Gurney. Yeah, he really like, is the Gurney now. Yeah. Like, he's got, yeah. he got all these medals. Look how many times my quotes have been used. Dang. All right. It's a tricky one. Okay. You of the West, think of time moving in a straight line from past to present to future. You Eastern brothers, regard time as a circle, returning endlessly in a cycle decay and rebirth both ideas of a dimension of the truth can you just give me the western oh, you yeah. you of the west think of time moving in a straight line Ooh, okay this one immediately cuts through of like this is our real world because those are the two perceptions of like in the west east, and the east yeah of yeah, like an yeah, eastern yeah. Philo- philosophical view of time and right, a western right. philosophical view uh because there's that whole awesome phenomenon where like buddhism uh ends up lining up really well with like quantum physics in a way very well uh, just like those kind of like harmonies and synergies sort of deal um but them touching on time as a flat circle uh, and this just makes me think of, uh, what is that, Matthew McConaughey and uh, the HBO, True Detective. Oh, uh, I haven't <laughs> seen that one. Oh, Mike, Mike. Oh, dude, the whole time, he is just this, like, dr- he had been on, he's basically, imagine if Paul failed out of the Quiz Autodrock program, because <laughs> he basically got fried on drugs by being undercover. Him and made a Matthew McConaughey. agency. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's, like, he's being interrogated by these cops, and he keeps, like, he'll have a beer can that he empties out because he made him, like, get him a six-pack in mm-hmm. order to do this deposition. Otherwise, he wasn't going to sit down with him. Oh. He, like, finishes, like, the third beer, and he, like, slaps it down on the table. He's like, time's a flat circle, man. Like, all the possibilities are superimposed of where they're going to be. <laughs> Is that we where all... you got that saying? Yeah, Because I got man. that saying from you. Because we're all going to do the same thing no matter what. We've all done it a thousand times and we keep coming back. And Oh, my God. You got to watch it because it touches on to uh, the King in Yellow. Oh, I love the King in Yellow. Yeah, all the time. The Black Star Rising mm-hmm. and all this. Great one. True Detectives on HBO. But I detract. And I just think these are tying into the real world because we're talking about the philosophy of time. Here. <laughs> <laughs> philosophy. That's how I got to that beer can. Um, <laughs> So I, I obviously I want to go Ivor Gurney because right, right, I feel right. like we're talking the real world. You throw me for loops though, so I'm switching. Oh, it. I'm throwing switch Ivor it. Gurney out. And really? Like, that was a fake. That was that was in the hand with the poison in it, Mike. Oh, you know what oh. has the poison? James Gurney. James right? Gurney. <laughs> you make a thrusting motion. Yes. At me. <laughs> and I, I make a slide up your chest there oh, with man. the poison knife in James Gurney. <laughs> Come on. <gasps> From Dinotopia. No, fucking <laughs> what? Yeah, it's James Gurney. Yes. yes. No, I had to be tricky. I had to, uh, I changed the cadence of it. 
Okay. I uh, took some sentences and put them into new stanzas. That way I could read it in a way that seemed a little bit more uh, with a rhythm. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's so, that well within the bounds of the rules, I feel. So, so let me give you the quote verbatim. You of the West think of time moving in a straight line from past to present to future. You Eastern brothers regard time as a circle, returning endlessly in a cycle of decay and rebirth. Both ideas have a dimension of the truth. That, oh. He actually goes on to say more. Well, so in that scene, is it are is he talking to like two human characters from both those areas? This is one character to another. Mm-hmm. I think when he says you oh, I, Western well, brothers and Eastern I, brothers, he's yeah. talking to just about humans in general. That's okay. I'm sorry. That's what I was alluding. When yeah. I said, was, is it a human that he's talking to? Yes. Because okay. the main character is a human. Okay, yeah, but it, my initial thing was I thought maybe there was, like, one, like, Asian person there and one person from, like, Europe oh, or America. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, cause, no, well, this just is like just saying, one individual speaking to this. It was, like, when he said Western brother that I, yeah. I was like, oh, is there a separate person there? Uh, but I like that both those philosophies. Oh, I am so glad I got that. That was such yeah. bullshit luck of uh, last minute. I really was thinking that would have been Ivor because it was so real. Right, uh, and drawing, I thought you were going to commit to it, too. Oh, wow, man, Mike. Fade's got me all up in a tizzy. Uh, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know what's real anymore. What? What is this? <laughs> and Malik from Dinotopia is actually a dinosaur. Oh, do you know what kind of dinosaur? Oh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. That's the best kind of <laughs> pronunciation. I'm going to pronounce it. You can look at it and be like, Mike, that's totally wrong. Oh, okay. Stenonychosaurus. All right, let me see it. <laughs> all right. You said Stenonychosaurus? Stenonychosaurus. Uh, Malik is a uh, Stenonochiosaurus. That's just me. It's indestructible. I just want to be uh, <laughs> contrarian. Yeah. yeah, he's the old Nokia. Uh, no, I think I think what you had was uh, pretty much yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But that's my that's my little gurney gurney here for you. That's your normal gurney. You got you got any bonus gurney? You, you can scrape at the bottom gurney? of the barrel. You know, what? maybe we do. I think there's we, always a little. We've time. done two weeks without a bonus gurney. We've had some long episodes, some good talks. Yeah. I'm hey, not- I, I can promise you we got a shorter one coming up next week, Mike. We'll be back to normal. I swear. Okay. okay. I gave you a couple uh, hints, I think, uh, last time or the week before. Perhaps. I think it was the week before. They're definitely far removed from my mind. Yeah. So a uh, gurney flap and a gurney bubble. A gurney bubble, I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, so you told me gurney bubble and I got thinking of like a bucky ball. Ooh. And I was thinking like an elemental composition of a gurney shape. Uh, <laughs> so I want to see where this goes. We're about to go fast. All right. Because Daniel Sexton Gurney. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> like a sphincter on a tent, a sexton on a gurney works. An American race car driver. Awesome. And constructor and team owner. Okay. Give me, and, I need a year before we go any further. Uh, starting in 1958. Oh, okay. That's where I wanted to put this. Yeah. It's uh, this guy, though. He's not just—he's not just a race car driver and like maker and owner. He was at the pinnacle of this. He was one of the best of the best. When you think of race cars, Gurney's name comes up. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> <laughs> it does now. Yeah. <laughs> Forever will. So, born in 1931. Well, he was born to uh, one Jack Gurney and Roma Sexton. Uh, together, they made uh, one Dan Sexton like, Gurney. Our powers combined. Our powers combined. Guess what Jack's claim to fame is. Oh, well, I mean, so his son became a race car driver. Yeah, but Jack is a gurney. We all know gurneys are good at one thing. Oh, now I'm confused. Uh, what What do you think? Jack was discovered to have a beautiful voice after taking voice lessons in Paris. Damn, and changed yeah, his yeah, career yeah. path. Should have been that easy. <laughs> Should have been that easy. Yeah. 
Changes career path to become a lead uh, basso within the Metropolitan Opera Company in New York. Eventually, he retired in 1947. The Gurney family moved over to Riverside, California. Dan was a teenager who had just graduated from high school. The young Dan quickly became caught up in the California hot rod culture. At age 19, he built and raced a car. God. Yeah. He later studied at Menlo Junior College, which is like a feeder school for Stanford, Mm -hmm. and became an amateur drag racer and sports car racer. Served in the Army for two years. Good for him. As an artillery mechanic. So would that... that Wait, when would that have been? Is that like a Korean, Korean War? War? Yeah. Um, so two years as an artillery mechanic. So working with pistons, lots of moving parts, heavy machinery. Ger- Gurney went in loving race cars. He came out with the knowledge on how to build more. How to build a bigger race car. <laughs> a bigger race <laughs> yes. car that shoots 50 miles away. Yeah. No. We put this car in a cannon, guys. I got an idea. <laughs> it's crazy. So Gurney, pretty already well established at age 19, like race, built and raced a car. His first major big break, though, occurred in the fall of 1957. He was okay. invited to test uh, Frank Asiro's Asiro Special. I don't know how we got around that re- like he was a good driver, but, you know, through the grapevine, apparently. The slave grapevine, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they invited him to race, like, test drive a car. You know, I would just probably say there might, it might not have been so competitive of a field. Like how many people oh. at the age of ni- no? How many people at the age of nineteen though built like a hundred thirty eight mile per That's hour? That's true. Drag he probably race. stood out. I think that like puts you a little bit ahead of the rest. Well, like this is a time when you have uh, different companies competing to see who can build the fastest car, the yep. sleekest car, the best car. This was a good stepping stone for him. This car that he had, it had like a reworked Maserati engine with Ferrari running gear. Just It was a mishmash of a bunch of different vehicles. And this was such a brute of a car. Even seasoned and veteran drivers couldn't handle it. People like Carol Shelby and Ken Miles found it difficult to handle. Do those names mean anything to you? No, uh, Shelby for like the Shelby GT. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's the same guy. I guess that one. So, I was a uh, big fan of Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> That's the Eleanor. Yeah, Eleanor. Yeah. No, we'll get we'll get back to them. Okay. okay. Yeah. Does Kearney fucking kill Shelby? What <laughs> happens? Uh, he finished second in the inaugural Riverside Grand Prix behind Shelby, who took first. Ah, oh, yeah. Kearney, you dog. But he beat established stars like Mastin Gregory, Walt Hansgen, and Phil Hill because he beat all these people. This guy, guy from nowhere, it attracted attention, especially the attention of famed Ferrari North American importer Luigi Cinetti, who arranged for a factory ride for the young driver at Le Mans in 1958. Aww. Does Le Mans mean anything to you? Um, uh, oh, wait, is this going to be where that race between uh, yeah. Ferrari and something happened? Ford Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. yeah that it, was like the big competition. But the thing is, it's a 24-hour race. Oh shit! Yeah, so it's tandem. One one uh, one driver does the first half, another driver does the second half. Wait, fuel wise though, you can you wouldn't get twelve hours of fuel. No, you got to stop and refuel. Okay, but I mean that's part of no no yeah yeah. I just didn't realize even in circuit racing you stop for a refuel and get back in there. Yeah 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 sure. Uh, So but it's a twenty four hour race. Okay. Is this on a track or is it like a course? No, this is across the country. Okay, yeah. So but Le Mans is famous. They hold it every year, and that was you're right. It's a big thing between Ford and Ferrari. So uh, again. He was doing test runs with Ferrari. His Formula One career began and started uh, racing with the team in 59. In four races in this first year, he earned two podium finishes. Ooh, good um, gurney. But you know what? This team's too strict. It's too confining to this gurney. He, this gurney needs to be free. I need to be out of the frat for Luchas. Their strict management style didn't suit him. So uh, in 1960, he got out of it. 
Here, here's where we got some bad news coming here. At the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort, a brake system failure on the BRM caused the most serious accident of his entire career. Broke his arm. Oh. And it killed a young spectator. <laughs> I think it was much worse for that kid. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think so. But this instilled in him. Wait, a... his worst car accident, <laughs> he only broke an arm? But it, it killed someone. Yeah, yeah. That person that sucks yeah. for more than that. That's the worst accident of his career. The fact that like his vehicle killed someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, I don't think he was, I don't think it was torn up about his arm. I just like, I was really expecting Gurney to come more like bundled up out of this. Well, no, here's the thing. This incident instilled in him a longstanding distrust of engineers. This accident caused him to uh, also make a change in his driving style that would later pay dividends. <laughs> Go slower. Well, no, his tendency would be to use his brakes more sparingly than his rivals, meaning that they would last longer in endurance races, so there wouldn't be as many brake failures. Okay, because the brake failure was... Yeah. Okay. You have to understand, in some of these races, too, you have a lot of test cars being like, hey, we need to make the next fastest one. They don't always work properly. Mistakes sure, are made well, by engineers yeah, and you're things on, happen. Well, you're on the cutting edge of uh, Cutting edge, in, but you're also innovation. like, we have a race in three weeks. Get it done. People are going to go as fast as they can. They'll maybe cut corners. But here's the thing. The engineer in him... Did not like that. This would lead to him making his own cars down the road in his own company. Yeah, I mean, I just like how Gurney's solution is like, maybe if I don't break. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's going to be the best, like the safest thing to do. All that less people will I break once. The problem was I tried to stop. If I would have just kept going, that kid would have, I imagine it's a kid too, in my mind. Well, I'd no, buy. that's the thing, because if the brakes did fail... It wouldn't be as bad because he was like taking those turns with the intent of not breaking. So he wouldn't be going whipping around as fast or anything like that. Well, oh no. What it sounds like to me is that you've built up of like by him not tapping at the brake, he's just extending the life where you're saying, yeah, getting down. So well, if, if he does absolutely need to stop, true. you don't he's fail. He's extending and, the life, uh, but he's also yeah. like taking things in a better way that overall it would age well with the, uh, <laughs> the evolution of vehicles. Okay. So, 1961, Gurney teamed with Joe Bonnier for the first full season of the factory Porsche team. I uh, scored three second places during that time and came very close to scoring a maiden victory at Reims, France in 1961. But his reluctance to block Ferrari driver... Giancarlo Bugatti. Giancarlo Bugatti. Giancarlo Bugatti. I like it. Which Gurney uh, regarded as a dangerous and unsportsmanlike move. It allowed Bugatti <gasps> to pass him at the finish line for the win. Mike, killing with the tip lacks artistry. Killing with, oh. Love this, it. This Gurney. This Gurney. There's something about that fucking name. You know what? If Gurney and Duncan Idaho were one person together, just going fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't stop for anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, that's like Duncan's braking style. Maybe that's why he doesn't trust brakes. Yeah. So like, brakes can fail like a kill ball. <laughs> Exactly. But mm -hmm. guess what? In 1962, Porsche introduced a new, better car with an eight-cylinder engine, and Gurney broke through at the French Grand Prix at rouen lescart oh, Dude, I'm sorry, Paul, from Montreal. <laughs> but, like, I'm fucking this up. rouen les Oh, dude. All right, you, wait, can I say that one right? Yeah, yeah. I think I got this. It's, it's right there. Ah, uh, rouen les 
God damn. Mike, that sounded good. I don't know if it's right, but it sounded good. Mike, it's all about confidence, buddy. <laughs> it's all about confidence. Just don't, don't crack. Shit. <laughs> but I like that. I was expecting. But this was his first world champion victory. He got a fucking first, first place? First place. Woo. Gurney. Uh, and Gurney. the only Grand Prix win for Porsche as an F1 constructor. So good all around. Everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. One week later, he repeated the success on a non-championship F1 race in front of Porsche's home crowd at Stuttgart's Solitude Racetrack. What is he just like, why haven't I been doing this this whole time? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Winning is awesome. Due to the high cost of racing in Formula One, Porsche didn't continue after the 1962 season. Okay. But like, hey, let, end it on a high note. Good yeah, for Porsche. Yeah. Take it. They drop exactly. it. On to your next gig. Is it going on to another car company? Hell yeah. But first, during that time with Porsche, he met a very special person, a public relations executive named Evie Butts. Oh, it's the lady. And they married several years later. Wait, wait. Her name is Butts. Butts. Uh, so we have Sexton Gurney, <laughs> Evie Butts. Uh, I love these people. A uh, Brabham uh, racing organization hired Gurney on as a first driver. They're like, hey, you're free agent. We want you. Yeah, you were just tops. Yeah. Gurney took the team's first win in a championship race in 1964 at Rennes. In all, he earned two wins, 10 podiums, then decided, you know what? I'm pretty good at this. I'm going to start my own team. Hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, Gurney, you got to get get out from behind the wheel. It's only going to get more dangerous as you age. Like. Exactly, right? But because of this, with his victory in uh, in the 67 Belgian Grand Prix, mm-hmm. he became one of only three people to score maiden Grand Prix victories for three different manufacturers. Okay, so three first victories for different manufacturers? Yeah. Okay. So Porsche, Brabham, and Anglo-American Racers. Which yeah. Be the next one. So, which means to me, like, it's more the man than the car? What are we saying here? Yeah. I think Gary Gary's just sort of coming like, to his own at this point. Yeah, yeah, I think so. He's got his own team. He's got his uh, own manufacturers. He's uh, going to make some things. Let me tell you what. We're going to make a motorcycle called an alligator. <laughs> sure. This is a cool little collector's item. It's like, hey, you want to have uh, Dan limited, Gurney's like, first edition. motorcycle design? Yeah, yeah. Only 36 made. Okay. Fucking cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a prize collector's item now. Now, Gurney was a tall dude, especially for a race car driver, because, you know, you only have a little bit of room. You need to hunker down in there. You don't want a lot of drag. So uh, Gurney had some issues when it came to some of these cars and, like, hunching down. They're not made for Gurney-sized people. Mm-mm. During one of the eras of Formula One, Gurney's head and shoulders extended so high into the windstream compared to his shorter competitors, it gave him sort of an aerodynamic disadvantage in his tiny little underpowered car. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gurney. <laughs> So, uh, he struggled to fit into some uh, other vehicles. So, master fabricator Phil Remington installed a roof bubble over the driver's seat to allow space for Gurney's helmet, now known as a Gurney bubble. Oh, oh, ah. all right. So, the Pope Mobile is just a giant Gurney bubble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little, little bulletproof. Like the, I like it. So, 1962, Gurney and Carol Shelby began dreaming of building an American racing car to compete with the best European makes. Ooh. Uh, Shelby convinced Goodyear, which wanted to challenge Firestone's domination of American racing at the time, to sponsor the team. Uh, to their benefit, they agreed. This is just the name All American Racers. The team was formed in 1965. Awesome. Uh, Gurney wasn't really comfortable with the name at first and feared it sounded somewhat uh, jingonistic. Ooh. That's an adjective I've never heard before. What the hell? I mean, yeah, it's jingonistic. What was the name Jingenism of it? Jingonism is nationalism in the form of aggressive and proactive foreign policy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, it's definitely. Not, it's not good, but yeah, what, what was the name again? All American Racers. 
Yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound that like that crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But very, very rarely it's the past more PC than we are. But hey, your sponsor's the one that says, I want to name this. It's like, oh, you got the money, okay. Ah, so, I'll do it. Yeah, he cracked for that. Gurney's first love is road racing, especially in Europe. He really wanted to win the Formula One World Championship while racing uh, the American Grand Prix Eagle. So they didn't have it ready. They ended up racing with another car. It didn't do super great. It wasn't really ready for the race either. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a huge downpour at this Grand Prix. This, it was terrible. Everything about it's this race. Everything was lining up against him. Pretty much. Yeah. Just everything terrible happened. But, like, you know, he came back a few weeks later. Killed it. But the next season, the team failed to finish any of the first three races. So, Gurney, like, we're, we're past his prime then at this point? Maybe. Seems but, like it's slipping. Well, maybe not. Oh. Uh-huh. Because Gurney's a trendsetter. He's going to do something that's never been done before and has been done ever since. June 18th, 1967. Gurney took a historic victory in the Belgian Grand Prix. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, what is he going to do? He started in the middle of the first row, uh, initially following uh, Jim Clark's Lotus and uh, Jackie Stewart's BRM. And it set, sort of had a rough start. Throughout the race, Gurney's uh, uh, V12 Westlake suffered a uh, high-speed misfire, but he was able to keep going. Uh, Jim Clark also had problems on lap 12 and dropped down. Having uh, moved up to the second spot, Gurney set the fast slap of the race on lap 19. Two laps later, he and his eagle took the lead and came home over a minute ahead of Stewart. Wow. A minute in racing is yeah, insane. Yeah, that's a lot. And to do it within, like, just a couple laps. He was two laps from the end yeah. when he took, like, first. Yeah. yeah. So the win came just uh, a week after his surprise victory with uh, uh, AJ Foyt at Le Mans, um, where uh, Gurney spontaneously began the now familiar winner's tradition of spraying champagne from the podium. God damn, Gurney. No way. Yeah. That, Gurney. That was Dan Gurney that started that tradition. That's Gurney. Yeah. That is a Gurney thing. Yeah. That everyone does now. Mm-hmm. And that was to uh, celebrate the unexpected win against the Ferraris and other Ford GT40 teams. Uh, Gurney said later that he took great satisfaction in proving wrong the critics, who predicted that two great drivers, normally heated rivals, would break their car in an effort to show each other up. Is yeah, I well, that's not. I don't even give a shit about the race anymore. Yeah, that's like yeah, he that he did the champagne, champagne on the podium. That was Dan I Gurney. Want, I want to know how he feels about that legacy. <laughs> it's like. That's kind of cool. You told me all this other <laughs> shit, and I want to, like, throw it all out and be like, you were the champagne guy? That seems like such a small thing, but, like, fuck. 67 was the first time yeah. somebody was like, I'm not even going to drink this. <laughs> just, ah! just sprayed it all over the crowd. Yeah, yeah. The reporters. Just, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. No one thought I, I could do this. <laughs> I think I got a little bit more on that, that. That's amazing. And the fact that he was down and out for so long in that race. Oh, like, yeah. I was almost being like, just retire, dude. Like, you're past your prime. Be a manager. And he's <laughs> like, I got one more race. In I got more, one more race. <laughs> yeah. Now, Gurney also had like a, a NASCAR career that started in 1962. That's not important. I really want to go in with his experience with Shelby American Racing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We had a little bit more with Carol Shelby. And right. uh, so he was recruited by Shelby. They were getting ready to do more Le Mans challenges as well. Okay, and that was that long 24-hour race? Yeah. Yeah. 1966, Gurney's best finish that year was second place teamed with Jerry Grant in a Mach 2 at the 24 Hours of Daytona, which is sort of like a Le Mans. It's like another 24-hour race. But uh, so the Mark II's doing great. The older GT40s are doing amazing. Mm-hmm. They took that to uh, Le Mans, and they got a first, second, and third finish. Fucking right they did. Fucking right they did. This is the Shelby Gurney team. 
Yeah. Yeah, making up for their fifth place. And so he stayed with Shelby American for uh, their 1967 sports car championship campaign. Okay, every one of them loves to include American. Every time he got hired on, was Gurney like, oh. <laughs> like, why do we keep doing this? Yeah, uh, guys, I really want a, yeah, universe, hard, a universe. It's like, it's like whenever yeah. they call Paul Ladd. It's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> you will address every one of them. <laughs> but yeah. This is, this is a kind of a big year because uh, things were not going too smoothly in development of Ford's next prototype entry. Um, I told you about Ken Miles, right? Uh, you started to, I think. Yeah. yeah. Ken Miles and Carol Shelby were some of the big names when it came to the Mons in the Ford team. It was Ford and Ferrari, and Ken Miles helped take them to victory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was th- he, so he was the Ford team? I think he was the, yeah, he was on the Ford team. Yeah, because Shelby was on the Ford yeah. yeah. And so I think he took the Mark II and I think I think he's the one that came in first. I need to <laughs> look that up, but I'm pretty sure he's the one that got him first because like there's sure. a, a bunch of big things about Ken Miles. There's a movie recently, I think. There was a, yeah, very recently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was doing this on the side here, kind of getting this queued up because I was like that. I think I was the only reason I knew they both raced at Le Mans was sort of like because that movie came out just last year in 2019. Oh, what is that? So, That's uh, Christian Bale and oh, I, uh, I don't even know. I have something way better than. Fuck them, Mike. Don't worry about that. Uh-huh. The best part about this movie, Mike, yeah. Dan Gurney's in this movie as a character. <gasps> I was scrolling through the IMDb. Yeah. You know who plays Dan Gurney? Who plays Dan Gurney? Alex Gurney. No shit, his son? His son, yeah. The youngest, That's awesome. Youngest son of American racing legend, Dan Gurney. That's got to be kind of cool. I though. thought that was really That's neat. Really that made good. me like my jaw drop. I was getting <laughs> through. But like, I just totally think of like that... I must have that like in my mind for how I knew that fact oh, of what they were maybe. the two that raced there. Uh, that's in the, but then finding Alex Gurney, I thought you would appreciate that. That's really good. I like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, after that win, they're starting. You know, the Mark II was so great. Let's start working on the Mark III. There were some problems highlighted uh, after a fatal accident of Ken Miles testing oh, the Mark III. Damn. I'm pretty sure that's how that movie ends. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I was going to say we should watch it. But we should watch it. But... We'll watch it for Alex, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the Another iteration was designed, but it would not be built in time for the next season. They sort of dismissed the it altogether, and they introduced the Mark IV instead for the 12 hours to bring. And uh, had a resounding win. Um, with the demonstration, the Mark IV was a good vehicle. We're going to uh, get ready for Le Mans again. They wanted a repeat championship with that one, two, three finish. Shelby's team of Gurney and IndyCar driver AJ Foyt. Again, we're getting back to Foyt. The prospects were kind of negative. The Mark IV was too heavy, put too much demand on its brakes. Ooh, big thing for Gurney. Structurally weak, <laughs> difficult to control. Uh, Foyt is a circuit racer. He's in over his head. And now he's got to prove himself in the shadow of sports car master and legend Gurney. Like, people were just like, oh, like this isn't going to go well for them whatsoever. No, I mean, it sounds like a car is falling apart as you drive it. <laughs> it's not great. But as it turned out, the race went like clockwork for Gurney and Foyt. On the podium, this is where the champagne thing started. This was the race. Oh, the 67. Yeah, yeah. this was the 67 race. Okay. Uh, oh, wait. oh, so that was the minute lead? Oh, no, no, sorry. The the minute lead. Okay. So that wing came a week after the surprise victory with AJ Foyt and the 24-hour Le Mans, where Gurney spontaneously began this tradition. Now, uh, upon his retirement from Formula One, Gurney devoted himself full-time to his role as a car maker and team owner, and he was the sole owner, chairman, and CEO of All-American Racers. He didn't like the name, but he still had the company. <laughs> he kept it for like a, day, a couple decades. Uh, 
Uh, br- bring me home, Mike. Where, where does Gurney end up? How does, how does this end? Uh, 1990, uh, Gurney was inducted into the International Motorsports Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, as well as the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame and the Spring International Raceway Hall of Fame. Surely that could just be one Hall of Fame. It could all be one <laughs> Hall of Fame. Uh, and then, of course, the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America. Oh, <laughs> you gotta, gotta get that America in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. think you like that one. I love this. I love that this is something like Gurney. The fact that you tried to speak up on this in the 60s, and it's like, nah, man, this is the way of the future. <laughs> but uh, all good Gurneys come to an end. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Gurney died at 86 years old of complications from pneumonia. Oh, so that... it wasn't a violent one, though. Yeah, I mean, that just kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, all American races announced on the website, uh, in quotes, with one last smile on his handsome face, Dan drove off into the unknown in deepest sorrow with gratitude in our hearts for the love and joy you have given us during your time on this earth. We say Godspeed. Oh, oh, damn. That's good. Pretty good. That's awesome. That was a cool little journey we went on. I love the time frame of it. It overlaps with the book. Such an interesting time in like, um, I mean, I think it from a Western perspective, but just like we were discovering so many technologies and advancing so many fields simultaneously. That sounded equally as dangerous as like the space program where like we end up losing people to testing out car models. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, But that was a really fun journey. I'm glad we went on that. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, I haven't heard any squeaks. I guess we're skipping the distrans today. Uh, Giovanni's been high and dry. He hasn't stopped by. (laughs) I'm worried he might have another wine supplier. I mean, where else? Where's he getting wine, Mike? I'll I'll go check the auto feeder, and maybe he's just found a way to get into it. Um, Wait, wait. What's that at the window? (gasps) You just didn't open the window? (laughs) (laughs) I never opened the windows. (laughs) God. Yeah. Oh, God. It's freezing. (laughs) Get him in. Come here, Giovanni. You little... Okay. Shake completely. <laughs> warm up a little bit. Warm get a little, up. little chattering there. Get a, get a little bat-sized blanket. Let me see. Yeah. Oh, Mike, there is something in here. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Get, all right. That's, that's funny. That's funny. Mike, you're going to like this one. Okay. 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 Giovanna, sit down. Have a little wine, buddy. Eat up. All right. We, we got a just trans coming in through Instagram. Um, oh, yeah. This is from John. I think it's Widner. It's W-I-D-N-E-R. I don't know if you have it, an alternate. It sounds like Widner. Widner. Sure. I know, we're bad at pronunciation. No, you are. (laughs) I do okay. You compliment me all the time, Mike. Margot. (laughs) Yes, Margot. (laughs) It means uh, Mar is C in Spanish. Got is to get. Come on, just confidence. I see. Okay, come on, come Uh, on. So John wrote in, and he he had listened to, um, I think, our episode uh, going into the Thopters and such. Oh, yeah. And uh, then he ends up telling me about Frank Herbert's other book, Destination Void. That sounds intense. That's right. It's basically a, I'm going to give us a little synopsis. He gave me a little more thorough synopsis. But the group of scientists are on this um, long duration flight to Tau Ceti. They have a group of colonists that are in cryo sleep, and we're just going to go seed, you know, humanity across the stars, right? Sounds good to me. Along the way, we got a little submission. Let's open this up, take a look. Okay, we need to turn the spaceship into a sentient thing. Sounds very Matt Holtzman. Very. Mike, fuck, that's where this ends. Basically, they do it. And, uh, <laughs> the way this ends up is uh, John was saying like this really makes me think because the ship becomes its skin, the sensors become its 
senses. It's very weird to say. <laughs> senses. Um, yeah. And he says, like, it, the ship ends up being a living thing, and it's very much like Holtzman in how he imagines how Holtzman ended up in the last phase going through space. Um, but he also just recommended it as, like, what he thought of one of Frank's best works. Really? Uh, which is interesting. I've heard contrary on, um, I can't think of the title. I think it was, like, white in the... Uh, title for it from a Frank Herbert book I know and I'd heard like bad things about it or at least not as great as Dune so now I'm actually really interested to kind of make me go and pick this one up um, okay I'm really glad to have somebody point at one specifically and be like just try this one out all right like, all, all right. right destination void I like the idea of that too scientists on a way they're doing this and he says they pull it off mm-hmm. which even if that's sort of like um a plot twist and can they get it done I want to see like you want to see how oh, well no yeah, actually, yes, yeah. I do want to say. But I'm like, what does it say when you turn it on? Ooh. What's its first words? How does it think? Like, it's really, what? how does it feel about people inside of it? Oh, yeah. Like, when you're given, okay, like, imagine this is a horse, like, taking you on. Like, your horse is a mind, an agency. Like, what if halfway through the journey, you just got to taunt on it while it's awake? Well, now it can decide, like, I don't want to go here. I'm like, I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah, yeah. So many options. I'm really interested in it. Uh, but that's Destination Void by Frank Herbert. So thank you, John, for suggesting that. Thank you. All right. I think you good with that? I think. Uh, I mean, if you don't have anything else, sure. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem like he wants to go, but you guys got it. It's cold outside. Let him chill here for a bit. <laughs> okay. 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 S- sit down, buddy. Sixty. <laughs> Don't give me that look. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think I don't got anything else, Mike. All right. Does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys uh, perhaps know a wine we could afford? Let us know. We're on Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you guys can always send a distrans at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And, of course, there's our website at SpiceWorldPod.com, which I, uh, I came to a conclusion. Yeah. Web dev is not my calling. Oh, you did pretty good though, Mike. The whole oh, thank you. But like, it's it's not something I want to do on a weekly basis, especially because I'm I'm not like uh, paying for like advanced features of like Elementor or anything. Sure. So I have to set up everything from scratch every time I log on. It just became more of a hassle. So, but I do want a web presence. So we don't have something. The, yeah. The Caledon wine cellar exactly the same way it was before. I think we're gonna. We got uh, we got some plans to like uh, get it back up. We're yeah, gonna, we'll, we'll do something here. Yeah. I think we'll add them to the show notes at the very least, and add a little something extra to some of those in the future. Within yeah, we're gonna kind of retcon the previous one. So if you guys go back, there'll be some reference points maybe, and definitely the wine that we exactly. drank that episode. But we still have a web presence at spicewellpod.com, um, hosted by our audio host, which is also pretty cool, and it looks pretty slick still. I love yeah, it's still you know it's still got that old mic feel to it. Uh, <laughs> the old mic feels yeah, good. Yeah, it's it's classic. You won't even know it's changed, guys. <laughs> there you go. So head on over there. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, you can come over and join our C-Edge over at patreon.com slash spiceworldpod. That's where you can find our exclusive bonus Between Two Dunes episodes. We've got Ampliros. We've got Guild Highliners. Mike, we're taking a new trip soon. We're yeah. going to Gamat. Oh, trip to Gamat. I'm excited for that one. We're actually going to record that right after we finish this episode. Yeah, I hope you got your old lady voice ready to go. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> there are a lot in that one. I'm gonna, okay. It's going to okay. be a fun time. That'll be good. Derek. Mike. I want my little teaser. Okay. You ready for this one? Yeah, I'm ready. I got a, I got a few people I got to run through in this one, so this is unusual. But <clears throat> if I may set the scene... <clears throat> Oh, do you, where do you think we're going to be? We're just on Gaiety Prime. Um, 
Probably going back to the desert. We gotta get to the sea edge at some point, right? We're still not <laughs> yeah, there. We still haven't gotten home. We gotta get in we, the front door. We really do. I'm guessing sea edge to bar. Okay, and uh, it's gonna start off with Usal. How yeah. many years have you? Stilgar asked. Fifteen standard. Paul said. Stilgar swept his eyes over the troop. Is there one among you cares to challenge me? Silence. Stilgar looked at the woman. Until I've learned his weirding ways, I'd not challenge him. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. What do you think? That's good. I think people probably had a problem with Paul and Jessica coming in there. We hired management off the street. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, <laughs> everyone's waiting for that promotion. It's yeah. Yep. But uh, no, I'm thinking that Stilgar is like laying down the law saying like no one will challenge me. I'm telling you right now. I'm not going to challenge him. I mean, it does cut directly, right? Yeah, yeah. we had that discussion last yeah. time. Of like, he already needed to make sure the troop was on board. Right, right. So, so yeah. I, yeah, I think he's laying down the law, and this is going to be exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to see what the CH looks like. Ooh, you're going to have to wait. That's for sure. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> really? Yeah. But no. I think until then, Mike, there's only one thing. The spice must flow. That, that glass went really quack. Quack, quack. <laughs> Woo, give me a second here. <laughs> yeah, Come out of your Woo. animal form. <laughs> God. Oh, where, dog? Because the worst light can't throw. That's why you ate the cracker? Like, it's all coming together, Mike. <laughs> Brent, what? <laughs> yeah.